Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, uh, issue 395. Yep, that's me hosting two in a row. Sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah, this is the um, the much-requested Donkey Kong 64. But before we get to that, you can play along with the show to the end of the year with Evil Within 2, uh, Asteroids, the series, Planescape Torment, Donkey Kong Country, Returns, and um, Final Fantasy 15. Yep, if you Google us or search engine us, canonrinse.com, you can just find us all over the place. Uh, but more importantly, really, if you could just help us out by throwing some money into a little digital hat, that'd be great at patreon.com forward slash canonrinse. We do Sound of Play, we do Playwright, we do Sausage Factory, and you can download the podcasts all over at the website or through your various apps. And you can catch our live streams over at Twitch and YouTube archives and you know Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All that fun stuff is there of, uh, for you to look at if you fancy it. Uh, but yeah, joining me, Darren Gargett, on the Donkey Kong 64 issue are Ryan Heyman. Okay. Pretty good. Ryan Edwards. Uh, my coconut gun fires and spurts, but I'm getting it checked out the this Tuesday at the doctor, so we'll figure that out then. <laughs> okay. And uh, Joey Baggy returns. How you doing, mate? Uh, doing good. Doing good. Chunky Kong mm. for the win. <laughs> good. I'm going, yeah, this is going to be two-hour podcast on what your favorite Kong is. Um, so yeah, get, <laughs> strap yourself in which Kong rocks your socks. But yeah, um, so Donkey Kong 64, the kind of the um, the third wheel of the, the N64 era platformers from the company Rare. It's it still crops up in today's um, news feeds. Re- most recently, with um, H Bomber Guy's charity stream, which kind of took off to um, silly levels. Uh, yeah, uh, you can you can look it up yourself. We I don't think we really got the time to discuss just how important that really is to just just the world. Basically, just check it out. It was pretty impressive. Yeah, and it kind of took everyone by surprise. Uh, also, um, talking about news feeds and DK sixty four in the modern day. The, you know, the, the game is quite notorious for all its collectibles and someone managed to find one more, which uh, allowed all the Kongs to get five more collectibles, which is brilliant. So, yeah, the game just it's, it's the gift that keeps on giving that the, that rainbow coin was found in uh, Fungi Forest, I do believe. And yeah, it was just it was kind of a an eye opener for speedrunners and um, yeah, everyone alike. So the developer is obviously rare, published by Nintendo. Uh, the director is George Andreas and the producer is Shigeru Miyamoto. But um. Yeah, I don't really know what that really means in this context because I can't imagine it had too much to say about it, really. Now, the program was Chris Sutherland, artist Mark Stevenson, and composer Grant Kirkhope, and it was released on the N64 in November and December 1999, pretty much, you know, within the same time frame around the world, but in America first. And then it hit the Wii U Virtual Console in April 2015. It's a 3D platformer, just in case you didn't know. And um, yeah, well, yeah, we go through our histories with the game. So we're going to start off with Brian. Uh, when did you first play this and when have you recently played this? Uh, I originally bought this in February of 2000. I uh, had uh, had a scheduled knee surgery from when I hurt myself playing um, soccer or American soccer, as you call it in the EU. And um, <laughs> so I, I actually had this uh, arthroscopic surgery plan. So I knew I was going to be on the couch for a little while. And I had just gotten a job at the local Burger King so I had some, you know, at, at age uh, 16, you know, some cash to blow and, and surgery coming up. So I went to the local video game store and I bought for Nintendo 64, Donkey Kong 64 and Resident Evil 2, um, which were obviously both thematically very similar. Perfect. And, yes, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I had my surgery and I was kind of laid up for a couple of weeks and I blew through Donkey Kong 64 over that two weeks. Um, I, I want to say I 101 percented it eventually. I can't remember. I definitely did beat the game. Um, I, I played it kind of, you know, to completion there. 
and dipped back and forth over the years as we were talking about before and uh, recently I've been playing it on the Wii U Virtual Console to make myself uh, current for the show. Good stuff. Uh, Ryan, how about you, mate? How are you doing? This one, I'm probably going to repeat some stuff that I've said on previous podcasts before, but I never owned an N64 growing up. We would play play at the uh, the neighbor kid's house down the street and uh, played a ton of Donkey Kong 64. But um, this one, it, it didn't feel quite like Banjo-Kazooie in that you can just kind of like, you can hop into a level, you can run around and kind of experience it. Like Donkey Kong 64 felt a little bit more like like the linearity of the experience mattered. And if you were just playing on somebody else's save file, you weren't getting like the full experience necessarily. Maybe it was so mm-hmm. collectible based that, uh, yeah. And so I, I was always eager to really kind of like try it on my own to, to have my own file. Um, hmm. and, uh, I ended up downloading it on an emulator and I, I got to play the game, but the emulator, and I believe even still, even in the most recent versions of project 64, like it really doesn't, render this game flawlessly Mm. uh there's um graphical glitches all the time uh, which amount Mm -hmm. to certain polygons within the characters being stretched to the edges of the screen Um, (laughs) it's yeah it's it's not pretty to look at but like it it put me off playing a few times but eventually i just said you know i gotta get down to it i just ignore the graphical glitches got all the way all the way through the game eventually bought it when it came to wii u but the Wii U's N64 emulator was just so bad that like I couldn't bring myself to play it on there again. I mean, the, the Wii U's N64 emulator has like a, a really, really small screen size for some reason. Uh, like it has black bars on all four sides, which seems Oof. unnecessary. Um, it's fuzzy. It doesn't do any of the kind of like uprising stuff that you would expect a modern emulator to do. Like it's just a bad emulator. Hold on, you just said that you played the game with Donkey Kong's face stretched to the end of the world, and now you're moaning <laughs> about black bars. Come on, where's your standards? You're all over the place. What's up? No, no, that's true. That's true. But it, it, it renders it in the original resolution, which even after playing it through with gla- graphical glitches, it being upres to like 1080p on an emulator, it's really hard to go back to the other way even if it is a little bit more uh faithful than the version mm. i played so um if i've uh i've dipped in and out revisiting it since but it's always been on uh computer emulators and not on the wii u one because uh, the wii u one is bad <laughs> god what an emotional pendulum you are right, right um my my history with the game is yeah i mean i'm in the thick of my rare fandom at this point and uh, a new 3d platformer from the company was Something I couldn't wait for, so I, I almost certainly imported it with the guide. I seem to recall that guide being um yeah, a fairly critical part of um my um my completion of the game. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I can't really you know, everyone knows that, you know, any rare game that came out in the N sixty four era was bought on day one for, you know, the, the the quickest import fees, you know, as possible. Just get it into my hands and I would play nothing but that for the next following, however, until I hit the absolute completion. I did it with all the rare games. Apart from Mickey Speedway USA, um, yeah, but uh, ultimately, yeah, I just absolutely destroyed this game back in the day, and most recently, uh, played it on the Wii U, a virtual console. You know, I'm I'm not quite as so um, re- resentful of that version because <laughs> I played it on the gamepad, which kind of alleviates a lot of probably what you were saying. You know, you play it on the gamepad, it kind of you can dip in and out of it with the um, save states, which probably has its own issues if you played it for more than ten hours using only save states. But we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but yeah, the you know the Wii Virtual Console version was there um, again because now I'm a I'm a proud father and all that. The little one absolutely loved it every time. Donkey Kong said, "Oh banana!" So yeah, that was fantastic. <laughs> it, it, it just kept me going. You know what I mean? It was just so funny. 
She There's a lot of really some... good voice clips in this game. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's um, pretty good going in terms of voices. Uh, yeah. So that's all I've got to say, really. Um, how about you, Joey? Um, yeah, no, I, uh, first off, this was actually like my first Donkey Kong game I played. I played this before hmm. the Donkey Kong Country game. So that Donkey Kong Country was definitely a very different experience, um, <laughs> for one. But, uh, uh overall, I, I actually, you know, it definitely had its fair share of problems, but I actually really enjoyed playing the game. Um, I played it a few, quite a few files actually when I played it back in the day. Uh, around the time it came out, I think I got the game in '99. Um, but uh, outside of that, I mean, to this day, I you know have done everything in the game time and time again, including the boss fights and all that. But the one thing I never did, I never ever used a guide for this game. Uh, I never mm-hmm. was able to find one of the two rumble pits on DK Isle for the life of me, and I never used a guide and. I mean, I literally, I, I don't know what I was missing to this day on where it was on DKIL. I'm sure I could look it up very easily, and I might mm. one day. But, um, yeah, no, outside of that, uh, I honestly just really enjoyed the game. It was a different experience. I went into it kind of thinking about Super Mario 64 or Banjo or anything like that. Mm. But, um, at any rate... Beyond all that, it was also my first time I ever played the original Donkey Kong, as well as mm. Jetpack. Um, mm-hmm. My brother was certainly obsessed with playing Jetpack on Donkey Kong 64 for a <laughs> short time frame. Um, huh. And the, I can definitely say it was because of Donkey Kong 64, I actually became obsessed with the original Donkey Kong and have gone out of my way to get it on numerous platforms and want to one day get an original arcade cabinet of Donkey Kong. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, overall, I just had a fun time with the game and figuring out all kinds of game-breaking things I'm sure we'll go into at some point. <laughs> well, there's quite there's quite a few, much like a lot in this game. There's quite a few um, glitches and game-breaking things that you could do. Um, yeah, the, the moon jump is one of them, right? Where you can just pretty much just, well, jump for the moon and just keep going up and up and up and up, which is quite fun to see. Yeah. But yeah, this game's rammed with um, glitches and bugs. It's quite uh, ridiculous. The only other things I can say beyond that was you were absolutely right. There are definitely some memorable voice clips. And uh, I don't know about you, but I mean, I would love to play a version of Donkey Kong where DK's face just stretches to the ends of the earth. <laughs> that, that'd be something. Uh, that, that reminds me of um, Counter-Strike when, when it was before, like, uh, on Steam. You could modify it yourself to have, like, um, custom models and people would have, like, the noses on the terrorist to be like 10 feet long so you could see him coming around the corner like just so far ahead this is before like vac you know valve anti-cheat was in you could just see this terrorist like literally like a half a minute before they even turn in the corner You're like here comes a guy now Pow. So, yeah that, that just nice really that. anyway and you missing one of the rumble pits uh, reminds me of leon cox our very own overlord he played this game to 101 percent completion and he he was missing one tiny banana on one level and he has since sold the cartridge or burnt it or threw it, I don't know, in, in a bit of anger. <laughs> but, I yeah. still have my cartridge. I could go and turn it on and find it as long as I probably look up a guide oh. for it. <laughs> There's a charity stream waiting, mate. They're all popular nowadays. Uh, yeah, get on it. So, uh, development. was uh, This game was originally known as Donkey Kong Country 64, unsurprisingly, DK Universe or DK World. Uh, development began in 1997, uh, around about the time that Banjo-Kazooie was released. Immediately after the completion of the Donkey Kong Country um, for release on the N64's disk drive add-on. It was transitioned for release on the base console after the add-on was delayed and cancelled, as we all know. A team of 16 people worked on the title over the course of three years, and an additional eight members assisted in the latter stages. 
Many developers transitioned from Rare's Banjo team, which would work on Kazooie in its sequel. Uh, DK64 was built atop the game's former uh, the former game's engine. Uh, yeah, Rare conceived and originally designed Donkey Kong 64 as a traditional linear platform game similar to DKC, uh, rather than Super Mario 64. The N64 was still new to Rare, and at the time they did not have a common game engine. The linear version was developed for around 18 months. Uh, the, the, this is me interrupting here. The linear version, it all kind of... Well, Banjo-Kazooie was the same with Dream, right? It, they're all kind of treading a similar path here. While 3D graphics were prevented Rare from reproducing the detailed pre-rendered graphics of the Donkey Kong Country series, they allowed the company to make characters more expressive. Donkey Kong 64 was the first of two games to require the N64's expansion pack, a console memory upgrade that shipped with the game. The upgrade was previously used to power optional high-resolution textures, but in this case, Donkey Kong 64, it was marketed as improving the game's frame rate and rendering of objects at a distance. <laughs> lies. lies. <laughs> according, to the, according to the Rare programmer uh, Chris Marlowe, the company could not resolve a bug that occurred without the expansion pack, and thus they were forced at great expense to bundle the game with the memory upgrade. Additionally, Nintendo said that the choice to bundle rather than selling the accessories separately would avoid customer uh, confusion, which is, yeah, bang on, really, because, yeah, people get confused about anything nowadays, and, um, yeah, so, yeah, bundling it in was absolutely uh, essential. So, the expansion pack, then, is, yeah, as, as we just spoke about then, or as I just told you, it is absolutely uh, incredibly essential for this game. In fact, that it won't work without it. You just get like a very boring blank kind of message saying, plug it in, please, and come back when you've got it plugged in. So, yeah, the expansion pack, um, as Chris Milo explained on a Conker's Bad Fur Day developers kind of live streamy YouTubey thing, that he said that basically um, Milo explains that a glitch would cause the game to randomly crash, but only when configured to work using the N64 standard megabit um, memory setup as rare was unable to identify the cause of the crash it was eventually forced to release the game with the expansion pack bundled in for free and it's come to like you know soon after that if you leave the game on for like 10 hours <clears throat> even with the expansion pack in the game's memory leakage would you know cause the game to crash and if you're playing on emulation or you know on the wii u emulation and you don't reset the game you just use save states if you reach that certain point you'd still experience the crash so like the bug is still there ever present in the background but it's alleviated, um, yeah, it's alleviated with with you know emulation because you can just press reset on the game. So if you you know, it's just one of those weird things that um, I guess it's just one of those last minute things. Like apparently it was like six months before the game's release that they announced that it was going to come with it. So I imagine these decisions were coming in thick and fast, you know, as they were bug testing it and realizing that actually, yeah, they needed to do something about it. Well, say I remember my uh, my mother actually bought the the expansion pack separately, but when we when we were getting DK sixty four, because I think when we got it, it wasn't bundled. So yeah, that's uh, certainly interesting. No, I never know they actually. I never knew they actually did bundle it together. I, I, yeah, I remember. I remember like explicitly seeing you know like the factory sealed you know individual packaging just for the expansion pack because the person at the store told us that it needed it to play. Mm. So it's just kind of yeah. interesting to know that. Yeah, interesting. I imagine that's probably um, happened quite a few times around the uh, around the world. But mm -hmm. yeah, um, if, you know, uh, a, a brief um, explanation of what a memory leak actually is for people who don't know. A memory leak is when you. This is by um, Boon City by uh, a person called Lin Teaches Tech. The DK64 memory leak. A memory leak is when you keep putting things in memory without taking them out, causing the amount of memory used to go slowly up and up and up until the computer runs out of memory and crashes. This is what happened with DK64. So yeah, um, despite Banjo-Tooie and Conquered by Day arguably looking on par or maybe better than DK64 and, you know, having just as many features and, you know, things, those games didn't require the expansion pack. But here with DK64, because of this kind of memory leak, 
yeah, it forced it to have it, which kind of worked in Perfect Dark's favour because that, that required it to unlock pretty much, you know, you know, two thirds of the game, maybe more than that. So yeah, overall, it's probably best that at least one of these games um, had the expansion pack, uh, you know, enabled or, you know, uh, bundled in with it, sorry. And, you know, the sooner the better to get it in people's machines. So yeah, um, yeah, quite a famous, you know, or infamous thing with the, you know, DK64 and the yellow cartridge and the expansion pack. It's it's I'm not nearly the first person to have this opinion or to say it out loud, but it's stories like this that just make me amazed that video games ever come out working right because they're so <laughs> clearly all held together with scotch tape and you know Elmer's glue and like it oh, just man. it just it's just doing anything to make it work and this is just a perfect example mm-hmm. because as a 15 or 16 year old kid that I was I never thought that the the memory pack had anything to do with that in, in my mind it was you know they're making the graphics more graphic-y yeah, you know well, what I mean like mm, yeah, I mean it's so. the advertising pretty much it literally says the game is so massive we have to fit it into this extra little thing that you put yeah. in the front of your console and you're like <laughs> no you're not stop lying to me like but as a kid you just believe it you're like well yeah, maybe exactly. the game is so massive and, and you know the game was massive but not for reasons um that they were marketing you but I guess they had to spin it somewhere right yep <laughs> Mm, indeed 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 so we have a forum post quickly by um rw gibbons this is one of my all-time favorite games people say it went too hard on the collectathon aspect but i think the enormous amount of collectibles are what made it great it was a -a collectathon in the purest form as opposed to the most um modern platformers which have collectibles just as a side thing and not the main focus of the game i wish we could get a sequel or at least some sort of spiritual successor game we're collecting is the whole point i loved hunting for every last banana completing every challenge to get every token and i especially love playing each level with each five of the characters each of who had their own color coded collectibles now i'll put that one there just as um at the start of the podcast just to get in a you know a, a general vibe of what people think about the game you know both um both positive and negative um so yeah it's, it's good to hear some you know real high praise from you know from the from the forumites indeed right let's get on to the real meat of this now the dk rap is is unique and i've only seen it once parodied you know um you know properly from the ukulele team they did the uka rap right before ukulele first um was was about to come out and you know that was obviously a homage by the same person grant kirkhope so yeah uh the, the dk rap starts at the beginning of the game and it goes through pretty much every kong and explains to you in rap form the um yeah the the, the pros and the cons of all the um the simians the apes the monkeys in the game and it was originally composed as a joke. Critics at the time thought it was a sincere attempt at Grant Kirkhope taking on the rap genre. It's become somewhat of a meme with internet culture today and will probably haunt Grant Kirkhope forever. <laughs> so, the DK rap, how do we feel about it? I'm going to go, um, yeah, just just go for it. Let me know how you're feeling. Um... It's, glo- it's gloriously terrible. <laughs> like, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a bad thing. I remember even as a kid being like, this is, this is pretty lame. Uh, and it makes me <laughs> makes me feel a lot better in hindsight knowing that it was originally composed as a joke. But at the time, there was a lot of pop culture. There were a lot of big companies that were trying to be cool, cashing in on hip hop that had had already gone out of style five years ago. You know, so it wasn't necessarily surprising. It was just kind of like, oh, come on. But now knowing it's a joke, it was a yeah. joke originally. It makes me feel better about it as a whole. I think it's the kind of thing that wouldn't work in a game these days. Like it would work. I, I mean, not just because of the uh, um, how overdone parody rap songs are, but like I, I think that it benefited from being a game that you would have to like boot from scratch instead of just like resuming mm-hmm. your play session. 
it's it's funny you have to hear it like every time that you load up the or you you could skip through it but like yeah if you're a real donkey kong fan <laughs> you hear it every time you play the game um but just being greeted with that tune at the beginning i always found it very funny it, it's wacky it's yeah and, and it's it feels so kind of of its time period you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> so scenario and setting for the game the game takes place after the events of the donkey kong country series or to be more specific dk land 3 uh, King K. Rool returns in a gigantic mechanical island with a large weapon called the Blastomatic in order to destroy DK Island. However, due to the incompetence of the crew aboard, the island crashes and the Blastomatic malfunctions. To buy some time, K. Rool has his soldiers capture Diddy Kong after he challenged and fought the entire Kremlin crew on his own. Lanky Kong, Tiny Kong, and Chunky Kong and locks them up. In addition, he has his minions steal Donkey Kong's horde of golden bananas. Surprise, surprise. So, yeah, um, yeah, so. Basically, the Donkey Kong, the DK Island is pretty much your, you know, it's your showdown town. It's your Gruntilda's lair, right? It's uh, it's your Mario's, you know, it's Bowser's castle. It's it's the kind of the usual 3D platformer trope of having this hub world to explore. The whole kind of setup of the game from a kind of presentation point of view and just the, the sheer amount of cutscenes and the way it all kind of, yeah, the whole aesthetic, the way it looks and feels like I really, really like. I really enjoy it, to be honest. I, I do think like the game's kind of highest points are its character, its charm, its yeah, its animations, its presentation. It, it does a really good job. When you think about the N64 and kind of the other games that are on it at the time, like you, you, you look at DK64 and you just think, God, they were absolutely firing on all cylinders at the moment at this point in the, the you know, development cycle of the console. And you, it clearly shows, like, you know, the intro cutscene is just... It makes me laugh, you know, and not many games uh, can do that. So, um, uh, we got any feelings about this, the general, um, you know, the, uh, the the setting of DK64? I think it was a, a neat idea to introduce, like, it sounds, I mean, at this point, we have all sorts of different Kongs running around after Donkey Kong Country, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, poor poor uh, Dixie Kong gets, gets you know, kind of thrown to the, the wayside a lot um, mm-hmm. after the Super Nintendo era, but um, it was neat to see these new Kongs, and you see, like, you know, Lanky Kong is an orangutan, and and I remember hmm. when I first unlocked him in um, in the second level, um, like he felt he felt different, you know, whether you get the um, you get the power where he can walk on his hands and he can kind of stretch out his arms, almost Dalsim like, you know, a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. it just it they they had a, a sense of personality to him, all of them. You could tell that right from the beginning. They just it it felt like no matter what this game had to offer, these these kind of these characters were going to be fun, fun to spend time with. And I think it did a really good job of painting that right from the beginning, because when you get, you know, the whole, the the initial cutscene happens and you kind of get set loose, you do your little tutorial and then you go out, you realize very quickly that once you walk out of that initial cave area, that this is like Hmm. a huge environment for the time. I mean, especially (laughs) thinking of like even games before like Banjo-Kazooie, your big 3D platformers at the time, like. Like the first time you walk into Spiral Mountain, and you're like, "Oh man! Like, look at the, all this stuff to explore." And you feel like there's going to be a secret around every corner. That's the mm-hmm. way that felt when you first walked out mm-hmm. on the island. And and that that beginning, I remember thinking, like, like settling into that game. I remember that feeling at the time, just being like, "Oh, this is going to be this is a like like I'm not going to finish this today. You know, I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. play through this in an afternoon. You know, that's going to be a lot of. I remember I, 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 ha- having a notebook to write down where stuff was and to go back to it and things <laughs> like you, you could just kind of. You get to feel that you were on this grand adventure. Now, um, mm. you didn't really, couldn't really sense the collectathon that early, but, but from the personalities involved, and then K. Rule just kind of showing up in his metal castle ship thing, 
Um, yeah. It, it, it did really kind of feel like you were getting involved into something big. Mm. The world is very expansive here. It's a lot bigger than uh, than Gruntilda's Lair, but um, I, I feel like it has less to see than Gruntilda's Lair, you know? Hmm. You know, it feels very functional. You know, you go to the different rooms that are the the level entrances. And I just, you know, I always felt like there were fewer secrets and fewer like reasons to explore. But maybe maybe that's uh, maybe that's me not doing a very good job of exploring in the first place. Hmm. I think that I think that's pretty fair. Um, I, there are a lot of big open areas there that and, and, and specifically in the areas you're talking about, like kind of the lobby area, for lack of a better term, for each level. Where there's there's a couple secrets, you know, and there might be you know a Diddy Kong gong to hit or or, or uh, you know a a gate to open for a banana, but but it, it is relatively flat. I would agree with that. Uh, first off, I'm just gonna simply say DKL pissed me off because I'm never able to find that rumble pit after searching tirelessly for it. So I mean, I, I already have a biased <laughs> hatred opinion towards it on that note. Um, outside of that, I I mean, I I've. I like the roads. I like, you know, the creativity behind everything. But I mean, I'd personally sooner go into Super Mario 64, Banjo-Tooie or Conquer any mm. of them than DK64 if I'm looking for that kind <laughs> of thing. But outside of that, uh, no, I mean, I, 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 I thought I thought all the roads were just nicely put together. I like the design. Uh, the only thing that, you know, because I remember earlier we noted on the color codings for like the bananas and stuff for character to character. Mm became extremely frustrating for me as a colorblind individual, especially between Ooh. Lanky Kong and Tina, or the Tiny Kong, sorry. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, it was just, uh, yeah. Oh, no, Tiny Tina Kong. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Something different there, mate. Yeah. Oh, dear. Some, some yeah. accidents all around, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, the, the DKI, in terms of, like, seeing it in previous games on the SNES, um, you know, you've seen it from a 2D point of view and you're, you know, you're pretty much just dot to dot it on a map, right? And you're, but here you're exploring it in, you know, full 3D glory. But I do agree that maybe, um, I call, I'll call it Bowser's Castle, or I call it Peach's Castle. Um, yeah, I, I prefer that kind of a smaller, probably tighter area that's probably more like packed. Like Gruntilda's Lair to me just feels like a, just a, like a, a work of art, really. Like you just go in there and you just feel instantly like, not lost, but like you're in this other world. Whereas DKL just it looks better to me in the cutscenes than it does to actually explore it. And my feelings on DKL kind of, as you progress further and further on through the game, it, the, the DKL feelings kind of transition to the whole game for me, and that it just kind of just goes on a bit too much. And there's there's just yeah, there's just too much, and it goes on for a bit too long. And by the end of it, you're just a bit like. I've forgotten what to do at the start of the DKR bit, and now I'm at the end, and I'm just like, oh, and you've got these banana ports, and things are drawing in from distance, like because the N64's draw distance wasn't brilliant, but there are crucial things over the water that you can't see, but you know you need mm. to get there. So the way you find it is by swimming over there, and and you're like, oh, is it over there on that island that hasn't drawn in yet? Oh, I don't know. Let's go over there. No, it's not that one. And you end up, yeah, zipping around and by yeah. these banana ports, which aren't ex- exactly listed very well. It, it's one to five, right, on the floor, and you, you press your Z button and it zips you up in a banana, which is, again, expressive and char- charismatic and brilliant. But number one means nothing to me after I've turned the game off for a day. I'm like, come back, where does number one take me? Uh, to the other number one on the DKR. And you're <laughs> like, brilliant. Uh, sure, that's not a place where I want to be. Like, just some handy kind of information. Like, if it was made now, you'd have, like, a little kind of, text popping up number one is you know fungi forest or you know um i don't know some other place that has 
the same um, initial twice as the uh, level name. You know, it, it was just a bit like, oh, God, like, where am I going now? Let's go on number four. Now, let's take me to the Banana Ferry. And I haven't got the ability to do the Banana Ferries just yet. And it just, it becomes a bit too much, just like the rest of the game. And, but, yeah. Um, yeah, not to, I, not to jump ahead. I, I, I do feel like that design you're talking about, the not quite knowing where you're going or um, not knowing what pla- what pod go or what um number platform goes to another number. Mm. You even see that inside, like Angry Aztec, for example. They have oh, yeah. the number pads that are for the overworld in Angry Aztec, but then inside individual buildings, they will yeah, have sets of number pads too. And like, <laughs> it gets to a point where you are just like, which number one? This which number one does this number one take me to? And it, yeah. it does become a thing. Like when you're trying to keep track of, okay, where was that? I knew, damn it, there was a bunch of green bananas over here, but I was, uh, but I was tiny. Uh, Tiny Tina Kong at the time, so I didn't, <laughs> so I couldn't get those. So I got to go back. But which one was that by? Yeah, it can, it can definitely get that um, overwhelming sense of frustration mm. because there is a lot of places to go, yeah. and there's not a yeah. lot of signposting there. Yeah, the and on top of, I mean, yeah, like I do agree, but like the hub world for Donkey Kong sixty four was big and not in a good way either. And the reason I, you know, kind of emphasize not in a good way is because Banjo-Tooie's hub world was, you know, massive, but I personally mm-hmm. really enjoyed yeah. it and had an easy time navigating it. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah. again, I know full well I'm on the odd side of things of really loving Banjo-Tooie. But... Hey, man, Banjo-Tooie's, you know, it, it's it's good. It's one of my it's favorite just... 3D platformers, <laughs> period. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, we've already done a two show, so yeah. we missed the boat on that one, I'm afraid. Um, but know. thanks for joining us last week on uh, Nuts and Bolts. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the gameplay structure is very much like we're talking about. It's a 3D platformer where you um you earn golden bananas, which uh, you know you 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 earn them by completing missions within the world. You know, little kind of challenges, tasks, missions, and you unlock a banana, and then the more you get, the more you can access via B dot locker, which is like a giant kind of literal gatekeeper in front of you. Unless you know the glitch in which you can lanky con your way through them or do something else. And yeah, you can get to any level kind of. Can really you get through any of them it. or is there just like one or two that you mm. can zip through? I'm not 100% sure. Maybe Joey knows a bit more about that than me, but I'm not too sure. Yeah, no, I actually don't know too much on the uh, okay. glitching past the gates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can use lanky con. I watched too. a speed run over the last two weeks or so, the, the world record 100%, or the 101%, mm-hmm. and there wasn't a single locked door or grate or anything that he didn't just glitch his way past yeah. Yeah. He, he went he went to the uh what is it the oh i can't remember the name of the final level um hideout helm yeah hideout helm he went to hideout helm i think was the third world he went to so and <laughs> yes. yeah it was it was pretty um pretty pretty impressive That's amazing. or you know depressing depending on what side you're at <laughs> absolutely from. but yeah it's to give people some context, like in Mario 64, a more commonly known game, I guess, you have a, you have a door with a star and a number on it, and you take that number of stars to the door, Mario opens the door. In this case, it's a giant, charismatic kind of locker kind of thing with a number on his chest, and he says, I need 50 golden bananas to get through, and therefore you need to find 50 of them in the previous levels to make, um, yeah, to make your way forward. Uh, so yeah, it, you know, it, at this point on the N64, we're all very well versed in, um, in how to, how to play donkey Kong 64 so to speak but yeah uh it just kind of i don't really know where to start right because it starts off and the the game starts off pretty kind of decently in terms of the first level which i'm again i'm, I'm kind of i'm forgetting the name at the moment excuse me uh, jungle japes obviously jungle japes you know it, it's what you expect from the game you know you get past b locker with your first few bananas or maybe just one and jungle japes is quite 
you know, because you're only playing as Donkey Kong at this point and you're out to rescue Diddy Kong in this level, I do believe, uh, you know, it feels just fairly straightforward and kind of what you expect from the series, right? It's a bit like, yeah, this is fine. And I thought this was actually a really nice uh, transition from the Donkey Kong Country series, especially with Donkey Kong Country 1. Like, the fact that it was on the N64 meant that um, instead of using more naturalized textures like they would later, uh, you know, as you got into later generation games like uh, mm-hmm. Conquer Live and Reloaded and uh, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, uh, where the world looks almost realistic, but with like cartoon characters in it, like yeah, this one still had um, very clearly kind of like illustrated textures and computer rendered uh hmm. environments and stuff like it, it still had that feeling of being like um artificiality kind of uh imitating real life hmm. jungles and so in that way like the especially just like the detail and textures of the world around you felt like they were kind of like rendered through the same process as the jungles yeah. in the original donkey Kong country and so you know like playing them relatively back to back like it's for as different a game as this is, it's kind of like a nice um, nice connecting line. And I like that they set that world first because that one... Uh, and then seeing some of the same familiar enemies, the the Noddies and the... Um, yeah, I, I guess the Kremlings got quite a bit of a facelift. But uh, mm. I think that there's a lot that really kind of ties us back nicely with the original. Yeah, you know, the, if you think back to DKC uh, 1, 2, and 3, like... For example, the, the leaves on the trees, right? They have this kind of like almost plastic looking sheen to them, right? It's kind of hard to explain without really looking at it, but they kind of look real, but also like they're made like the, the, it's like a toy at the same time. It's, it's a very kind of unique look to the game. And yeah, DK64 definitely kind of echoes that kind of spot on. And if you look around, the whole world kind of looks, it's cohesive, right? And it's all there, but you can kind of tell that it's also, you know, in theme with the Donkey Kong mm-hmm. series. And yeah, like, like you say, they've done a brilliant job in kind of, transitioning that over to 3d and it just the whole kind of the, for me the the strengths in this game as i said earlier presentation and that but that's all put together by just the sheer technical prowess of the whole game in front of you like the lighting in the game is brilliant um you know the, the way it all looks and it's all pieced together and the way it, it, for me this game is all about just uh you know above and foremost just aesthetic and presentation it is just absolutely rocking it and at this point you know rare Every time they get out of a machine, they seem to just squeeze every last drop out of it. And um, yeah, DK64 is no exception. Um, anyone else got any particular feelings about the, the technical and kind of the visual side of the game? I think the game feels so tangible. You know, all the characters mm. bend and stretch in such uh, such nice, realistic ways. You, It doesn't feel like, I mean, apart from... <laughs> emulation difficulties it doesn't feel like a series of polygons that are representing life like these feel like real living things in a way that like i don't feel like i had really experienced up to that point um in Mm. in video games before and so Mm. you know it's just everything is so kind of like squishy and yeah and it just feels you know like these are uh, these are real things existing in this in this real world and and the the behaviors of the enemies when they're not aggroed you know they just kind of behave in a very naturalistic way just kind of wandering around and minding mm-hmm. their own business and kind of noticing things in the environment uh i i really like the way that this ended up ca- coming together i like the way that it feels and um yeah i think that it's a just a beautifully constructed game 
my, my only thing that I remember, like, I mean, I agree with all of that except for, uh, when it came to, like, just the feel of the game as far as the, the characters go on certain specific notes, again, going on about me just kind of finding stuff to mess with and break the game a little bit. Um, specifically the, uh, you know, like how there was like, those kind of out of bound for like certain magics or whatever in the game, like the, where the, like you get the big red circle with the line through it and you hear, you know, King K rule laughing in the background and whatever you're doing would just be like, yeah, well, um, you know, I remember that it was so, I, I used to do, it was so long ago. I can't remember exactly what I used to do, but I just, I remember vividly what would happen at least like on top of, you know, the, the, the big red circle coming up on the screen. I somehow figured out how to do it with like every character and just various points where like the your the um the design like like the physical by design of like all the characters would like get severely just just ruined for a good time period. Like their their shape would constantly fluctuate and then they would get stuck as like permanently giant for a while or misshaped, permanently tiny. Like I remember I had a period where <laughs> Everything about uh, DK, specifically when I was on DK's aisle, I managed to break it in a way where every part of his body was absolutely tiny, like I was Tiny Kong and, um, you know, did the shrinking, except his head was massive. <laughs> I mean, like, oversized and normal, so, you know, there were there were some issues in that regard, and I wish I could remember the glitches, but... I found a variety of things of that nature. Otherwise, completely agree with everything that you said on the field. <laughs> well, it sounds like you found a DK mode within a within a DK absolutely. game. DK Absol- mode, yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> that would be the best way to describe it. Good stuff. Good stuff indeed. So yeah, you know, um, so once you've entered a level, you know, Jungle Japes, Aztec, Angry Aztec, or Frantic Factory, you know, you're presented with things to do. You know, missions, tasks, challenges. As I said a minute ago. Uh, you know, each of them earns kind of a golden banana or a coin or this and a that, which we'll get into in a bit. But first, I want to talk about the characters that run around, you know, inhabit, you know, um, basically the Kongs that are in the, uh, the start of the game, the rap. You know, you end up controlling all of them, right? Uh, you know, Donkey, Diddy, Lanky, Chunky, Tiny. And they all have their own unique abilities, which, you know, if we were to talk about everything in this game in terms of what you can do with each Kong, <laughs> we'd be here for, you know, it'd be a long Patreon um, and I'm sure the editors would hate me for it. So we're just going to briefly just go through like, you know, y- y- your favorite Kong, I guess. And, you know, which kind of moveset did you enjoy the most? Like for me, like the, the jetpack in both this and to be honest, Smash Brothers, like I, I always find Diddy Kong's jetpack to just be like, who doesn't love flying a jetpack in a, in a video game? Like, it's, it's just it's just so much fun. And it's just sometimes you feel a little bit out of control, you know. And I just, Yeah, so for me, D- Diddy Kong is kind of... I've always really liked Diddy Kong. And the fact that Dixie Kong doesn't exist yeah. in this game, it was a bit of a kick to me because I, I like Dixie Kong from DKC yeah, too, right? I, I, think she's just, I think she's fantastic. And to be replaced by Tiny, you know, I guess they can't just give Dixie the ability to shrink down and go, oh, look, she can shrink in size now. So they, they created a new Kong. But also it feels like a bit of... um. Yeah, maybe they couldn't render the banana hair better or not in this version. I'm not too sure why they didn't um, yeah, put her in. But yeah, so, you know, the characters in this game, they they get, um, they get they learn moves from Cranky via the potions that you can buy. They have weapons that you can equip, like coconut guns and, um, yeah, pineapple launchers and all this and feather bows and all this kind of crazy stuff that you can do. But for me, like, every time I get a hold of Diddy Kong, he feels snappier. He's got a funky little cartwheel that kind of, goes off at a funny angle like diddy kong for me yeah but I'm, I'm pretty much all about uh, uh the little kong uh of the diddy variety he's he's fantastic anyone got any favorite like 
feelings on on your favorite Kong or or not so favorite? I like I like the smaller Kongs in general. Um, mm. When if I had to just be running around the overworld, I was either playing as Lanky, Diddy, or Tiny in that order because they all had very satisfying attack moves that you could do while running. Mm-hmm. Like Diddy would do a cartwheel, Lanky would kind of do this spinneroo with his arms outstretched, the yoga and Tiny dance. Tong. <laughs> yeah, and Tiny Tong had had this really satisfying kind of like jump, like jump roll, like dive roll. Um, mm. When, but when you're moving around as Donkey Kong or Chunky, even though I I'm was aware enough to know they're probably moving about the same speed, it just didn't feel like it at all. Yeah. Um. So, you know, Do- Donkey and Chunky just kind of lumber around on you know like 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 big gorillas do, and and um. But but yeah, moving with uh Lanky Diddy and Tiny just made me want to play as them much more often because it just felt snappier, like you said, just felt faster, more fun, more energetic. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like rolling in a Zelda game, right? It yes. probably doesn't do anything for you, but you do it anyway because if you feel like you're getting one over on the system just by having a, like a, yeah. an extra frame of animation to move forward yeah. a bit, you're like, I'm going to roll everywhere in Hyrule and it doesn't make a difference. I don't know, but I'm going to do it anyway. So yeah, definitely Cartwheel and Diddy was a thing for me. How about and, you, Jerry? I know you said it earlier, but remind us. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like the thing about uh, the Kongs, uh, so first off, I mean, I gotta agree. I love Diddy and Dixie, you know, and I miss Dixie, you know, like as far when after I found out about her, I was like, I was sad she wasn't in the game, and the Diddy Kong jetpack was cool. But legitimately, my favorite Kong was Chunky Kong. Um, don't get me wrong, <laughs> I I love you know Lanky Kong for the stretchiness, especially you know his jumping beat where he does the hoops through himself and kind of gets a little <laughs> zero G's going, or uh, you know. Uh, Especially as we were talking about the moving pressing B, his weird yoga dance, you know, that was always entertaining to do <laughs> as I traveled, yeah. you know, around. But uh, no, I mean, I, I actually really enjoyed Chunky Kong. He was my favorite. Just kind of I enjoyed the big lug and uh, his his running B move. I mean, was always just satisfying, just basically spinning around with arms out, screaming ah! all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> I drove my parents crazy. I can honestly say that. Speaking of Kong noises, um, at my workplace when I used when I used to work there many many years ago, there was a guy who worked in the bakery, and he's like, "Oh, you're the man who likes all the computer games, right? Did you play DK sixty four? And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, "I got I got a word for you, obla." And I was like, "Obla!" Oh, he's, he's, he's literally he's he's quoting Lanky Kong at me, and every time I saw him, he went, "Oh, woohoo, obla!" And I was like, "This is just this is ridiculous. Like, I can't believe that someone." Follows me around works doing Lanky Kong quotes and yeah, it's awesome. Um, ah, Trust me, I don't I... know if Mark's listening or not, but yeah, he's a strange fish and yeah, just the the constant DK sixty four noises uh, are prevalent uh, both at my well used to be prevalent at my work and throughout the game. Yeah, the, every Kong has yeah just a whole raft of things that they they can do and say. And every time you hear um you know you change via the tag barrel right um you hear just just uh, an abundant. The more you unlock the more noises you hear <laughs> yeah. by flicking through it. And yeah. I, can hear, I can hear it now in my head by going a certain way around the wheel of Kongs, right? You can hear that kind of rhythm of the tag barrel. And I think, I think that's, where the, that's where this game shines in the characters is that like, they really all do have so much personality and the animations mm-hmm. are so good. They emote so well. The, the noises are so unique to each one. It just like, like that's where the game shines in my mind is that like, you know, I can, I, I might not be able to tell you wh- where to get each golden banana in Frantic Factory, but I can tell you the specific sounds that Donkey Kong makes when you select them <laughs> from the barrel doing, okay, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Exactly. So yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's good. For as much personality as they have, though, I kind of wish that they were more differentiated gameplay-wise. Uh, it feels like yeah. all the ways that they are differentiated are very context-sensitive, and, um, you know, <clears throat> they don't feel that different 
to just kind of like move and navigate around, uh, which, you know, you you did get that difference in uh, Banjo-Tooie when you split up the two characters or, you know, there's, there's tons oh, yeah. of other games where you're playing as three very distinct, very different characters that have, uh, you know, different movesets and, and movement styles and, you know, just different ways in which you fundamentally interact with the world. And I feel like, you know, I, I don't mind this game's uh, kind of core loop of going through each level five times, but I feel like it would have been better if the ways in which you navigated felt more different from Kong to Kong other than those mm. areas that were just like hard gates that certain Kongs just could not pass through. You no, know, that was actually something I was kind of wanting to note on was, you know, I mean, outside of obviously the noises on the Kongs, uh, yeah, fighting enemies. Uh, some of them I did actually find some differences when I was, you know, very young and playing the game. Like, uh, you remember the the blue pin alligators? They're you know, the blue ones that got the black vest on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, if you run at them and press, you know, your B dashing attack, you know, you knock them on the ground, and you know, they kind of get that temporary iframe status. And I'm sure a bunch of people found a variety of ways to beat them, but like the quickest, simplest, and laziest way I found was, um. If you do the right attacks during the right points during their uh, iframe recovery state after being hit by the dashing attack, you could actually insta-kill them. Like uh, Chunky Kong, it was timing his uh, hold Z, B, uh, you know, power punch attack. Uh, Donkey Kong quite literally just mashed B, 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 and the lasting effects from his uh, ground clap animation at the end would just chain together. You could literally start running away and he would just die. Um, you know, the enemy would, like... Mm-hmm. The, the the characters had uh, different interactions in that regard to the enemy-to-enemy point I had found just from tinkering with the game, you know, and experimenting with different attacks on enemies. Yeah, interesting. You know, you start poking around in, uh, you know, as I have done in, you know, with previous jobs, like you, you start tinkering with game systems a bit too much, yeah, and you start seeing quite a few, um, yeah, things that they weren't really expecting. And yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely um, an interesting thing to um, to fudge around with indeed. So, yeah, you've got all the Kongs and they've got all their things that they can do. Um, but to change between each of the Kongs, you know, I've mentioned it, the tag barrel is a barrel that floats because, you know, this game is, is a Donkey Kong game after all. So there are barrels everywhere. And this one just happens to be, you know, one floating in the air and you jump into it and you're presented with like a kind of like a, like a black screen, right, with a series of spotlighted, um, you know, Kongs and you, you choose one at a time and then as you play as different ones you can then do different things within each level as Ryan said it a minute ago you end up playing the game quite a few times over and over and over again now the tag barrel for me is kind of where the game kind of falls apart in the fact that maybe there's not enough of them but the the kind of I'm 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 not I'm not against backtracking right when it's done fine it's brilliant like you know Metroid does it you know more often than not brilliantly like there's always a reason to go back to places and even when you feel like there isn't, like sometimes, you know, get games will just pull it out of the bag and go, actually, thanks for coming back here because now you can do this. You're like, oh, this mm. is brilliant. But I feel like DK64 just, the more it goes on, the harder it becomes to, like, on, on your patience, I feel like it really wears thin. And I think the tag barrel, it's a good idea in principle because you don't really want people chopping and changing Kongs whenever they want. But maybe they just needed to pepper a few more in there. I, I haven't really got the answer because I'm not, I'm not a game designer, but like, the amount of times you think, oh, I could really do with just nipping back and changing into Diddy Kong right about now because I see a group of red bananas up in a tree and if I can only see them because they're, they're drawing in when I'm here right now. And this is probably where your notebook came in handy, mate, uh, Brian, yeah. because the amount of stuff you end up just noticing briefly 
and then going, right, if I go back to the tank barrel, which is, where was it? Oh, it's number two on the thing, but where's the number two? But I haven't got a mapping game, so I don't know where I am in relation to the world. Where's the tank barrel? But I think the game kind of fights, in my opinion, that the game fights you, you know, too much in kind of navigation and accessibility in terms of coming back to where you've been. Yeah, yeah. the the tag barrel for yeah. me is, is it's a bit too much of a chore and you know maybe they could have done something to to alleviate the um the legwork you know and, and again i'm not against it you know what i mean like banjo kazooie and tui and all that like i love finding out a new move and going right i've got this now how do i unlock the the thing back at the previous level but here oh, you end up doing it again and again and sometimes you forget and i just really wish that the game had a bit more of um maybe an internal journal or something going on to help you along your on your way and uh yeah the, the tag barrel um if you, if you got any ideas how they could have made it you know do, do you like it and if you didn't what 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 would you do to kind of um circumnavigate it if you're not uh, trying to say i i think you kind of hit the nail on the head already by i mean it probably wouldn't work from a gameplay standpoint if you could switch between donkey kong and lanky kong mid jump but it yeah. would have been nice to have that as a menu option if you were like standing stationary or something. Because mm. um, I remember in my recent playthrough, I was playing in Frantic Factory and I just unlocked Chunky Kong because that's where you get him. And so I'm running around as him doing some stuff. I end up going around a new area. I climb this pole and I drop down onto an area. And I'd probably done, you know, five or ten minutes of platforming to get up to this area. And then I drop down onto it. It has a switch for Diddy Kong and a coconut switch for Donkey Kong's gun. Yeah. No tag barrel, nothing. So I had to jump down, try to find a tag barrel. And then got completely turned around, couldn't remember where I was, couldn't remember how I got to where I, where I was before. And I think this is even more exemplified in the tighter packed areas, because in, in at least in ju- like Jungle Japes, for example, is a wide open area. So if I get to the top of that little mountain at the front and I need something for Diddy Kong, I know if I just jump down in the water and go out, like there's an area there. But like the hallway based, like the, in, the in- indoor areas, it can become mm. really frustrating because sometimes just navigating back to them. It can be something like, ah, oh, where do I go? I don't know what I'm doing, you know. So, um, so yeah, I I definitely wish there was some more kind of more convenient on the fly menu option to to change. Yeah, you know, and they've got systems for teleporting. Like they could have just maybe just put one in where it's just like they zip up in a banana and you can just change pretty much yeah wherever you wanted or or add a cooldown or something. You know, there's yeah like a I don't know like every time I have to go and find a tag bar, I find myself kind of just sighing and then by the time I got back, I've forgotten. How about um you or uh, Joey? How do you feel about the tag barrel system? Uh yeah, no, I mean I I'm pretty much on the point of the the navigation became quite difficult and annoying and I forgot countless times where it was supposed to head back to after getting back to the tag barrel and uh mm. you know as much as it would have been nice to be able to just change wherever you want even if you were just standing stationary or something like that unfortunately you know that goes into the possibility of being able to do it anywhere and you know everywhere you know even in areas where characters aren't supposed to have access and, and it's, it becomes quite difficult to simply say you know what would have been the easiest way to handle it outside the tag barrel? I'm not saying it was keen on the tag barrel, but I understand the necessity by mm. the design with what they were trying to achieve and keep in the game, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a quandary for sure, because once you've got a game that's so massive um, and you've already decided on a specific mechanic for changing you know, the characters and you've obviously got to run that for the whole game or else you start causing confusion. But, you know, maybe calling in like a squawks airstrike for a monkey drop would be great <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know what the answer is but the the sheer amount of things that go on within you know especially the later levels in this game you know 
even just like a map you know games nowadays they, they kind of have to come with a map on one of the buttons okay and i think donkey Kong 64 is a game that's just screaming out for it it kind of feels like an ubisoft kind of like you know when you press um you know pause on a assassin's creed game and you see the amount of stuff that you need to do but at least it's all there on the screen right you know where you've been where you can go and sometimes it's intimidating you're like oh look at all these things that you can do in an assassin's creed game oh god i'm scared but with dk64 like you've got so many characters to talk to you've got snide who accepts blueprints but you can only get the blueprints if you're the right color kong to pick it up and it's just <laughs> Yeah. And you've got Candy Kong who sells you like uh you know uh, I don't know but I, I can't remember what Candy Kong specifically does is it the um the music. earphones she, music, music music instruments yeah she teaches you how to use those yeah. Every time I see Candy Kong I just see the weird sex jokes come in front of me and I'm like this isn't appropriate what well, this is just just dodgy <laughs> and she's got strange physics that kind of resemble you know games of that era and it's just yeah and then you've got Funky Kong who sells you the armory upgrades for your, your yeah. weaponry right which apparently this game used to have realistic weapons in which that's that's you know that, that's that's great, but it doesn't really fit the 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 um <laughs> the actual theme yeah. of the game because apparently Diddy Kong was meant to be running around with a shotgun at one point, and you just think that's a bit extreme. Mm. It doesn't really fit the vibe of the game, so they turned it down to have fruit-based guns, which is um what you're taught about in the aforementioned DK rap. <laughs> and you know you've also got other characters in the world. You've got Kay Lumsey who's caught behind a cage, and you need keys to unlock him. And in each of the levels, you've got battle arena pads you've got cranky kong's tutorial barrels you've got you've got barrel blast mini games you've got animal crates you've got banana port pads like we mentioned chopping you've got so many things right but i don't think the ui when you press pause right so when you press pause in banjo kazooie you get the summary screen and you're like i know exactly what i'm doing right now because it's so well displayed in front of you but what they've done in dk64 i feel like so they've added all these things, but not a way to not a way to manage them alongside it in terms of UI. You're just staring at your summary screen, and you've got that. Oh no, I can't I can't hear this again for the fifteenth time. It's quite a cute little song, but for the fifteenth time, when I'm trying to work out where I'm going next and where I'm supposed to be going, it it, it just grates on you over time. Grated on me over time, and it kind of that feeling of kind of just like i can't do this anymore it kind of got worse and worse as the game got on for me so a very a tiny snippet of a forum post by dusk versus tweak sorry we couldn't get to everyone's forum uh, feedback and community feedback because this game's quite dense and i want to kind of talk about that you know i want everyone's uh, feelings and thoughts on the game but i couldn't fit all the community stuff in here because some of it was really good and really long but you know when you've got a podcast as dense as this can be I kind of wanted to just trim it down and keep it sort of um, reasonable. If you want to uh, read some more about people's feelings on DK64, the Canaanites forum is there for you to look at. But we have a snippet of a forum post by Dusk versus Tweak. Uh, and he or she says, And why the heck would you have Tiny Kong when Dixie Kong was right there? I'll never forgive them for that. <laughs> so yeah, um, yeah, we've re-recorded that sentiment before. But yeah, it seems like it was kind of more um, prevalent in the wider community. So we've mentioned all the things you can uh, do in a level but the animal transformations are quite um iconic with the series you know running through dkc one two and three you can turn into you know on guard the you know, the swordfish you can um you can do the what's, what's the spider called again i've forgotten his name oh, from dk squitter squitter yeah squitter yeah squitter but i think uh, there's only two in this game that you can really transform into and it's, it's rambi in um I only remember it in Jungle Japes, but maybe in a later level as well, maybe Hideout Helm. And also uh, on guard in, obviously, the um, Gloomy Galleon level and probably anything else with water in. 
Couldn't you turn um, into the? Couldn't you turn into Rambi and the the Crystal Cavern? I forget. Yeah, again, it's kind of. But my, my um my overall feeling on the game is, I forget. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, can you do that in that level? I I forget. You did a lot in all the levels, really. So <laughs> yeah. I couldn't really. I can't be a hundred percent sure or one hundred and one percent sure. Hello, cheeky little <laughs> joke there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Good, but good I remember stuff. unlocking um finding the Rambi transformation barrel and running to the wall where there's a giant Rambi picture on it. And I couldn't open the wall. I couldn't smash it, which is what you want to do with Rambi, right? You want to just smash everything. But there's this giant wall in Jungle Japes. And you get there with Rambi and it doesn't open until it wants you to open it. It was waiting for a certain threshold to, or a certain thing to have happened for me to get in there. And I think that's very counterintuitive to how really the game should be in my head. Like if I see a giant wall with Rambi on it, I'm going to bust it open with my horn. And that didn't seem to happen when I was there. And I just found that a bit. That, that's another, another part. We're kind of talking about the signposting thing before. There's actually a charge with Rambi. You hold the B button and he like, like, you know, like scrapes his paw against the ground or hoof against the ground until he kind of charges up and then runs through the wall. But it never mm. really expressly tells you to do that. Mm-hmm. But that's how you have opened those doors. And it, that's, again, another one of those things where, where the game just has so much going on that it, it, it doesn't necessarily communicate to you that well what you're supposed to do kind of where. Well, I don't mean I completely felt obviously I've done it at some point because it's like in the, on the N64 days I had the guide so I had that to keep me going and maybe that probably was you know in hindsight the best way to play this game for me was just to have a little kind of um, a, you know a 15 quid uh, 15 pounds um, you know money pounds um, guide sitting next to me because yeah um, yeah I, just just you telling me that was just like well of course Rambi has a thing that you can do of course there's a special move that they could do but I just didn't think about it at the time and once I got frustrated with it not working, obviously I tried to do that same thing again and again and again, and it didn't work. And I was just like, oh, I'm having enough of this. I've all been there. <laughs> like, this isn't, that's not the Rambi I know. The Rambi I know would smash it down automatically. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I wanted more animal transformations, especially like after Banjo-Kazooie, right? And Mumbo-Jumbo is transforming into washing machines, pumpkins and bees and all sorts of crazy things. Like that game it's so easy to compare the two right because they come from the same company and they they have the same flow but banjo kazooie when you when you're transformed and two as well when you're transformed into a a specific thing you kind of know what to do with that thing straight away because you've seen where you can go as a pumpkin right you can squish yourself down into the like into the sewers or whatever it is in mad monster mansion or you know as the um as as the bee you know where to go in click clock wood right you know what to do but in here it's just like i'm rambi now okay what do i do and it's just like well there is that giant wall over there but and there wasn't much to do as well which is also another frustrating point it's just like man if i was to be rambi right now i wanted to just just you know be rambi for the next kind of hour or something they just something just to uh, just to change it up um so yeah am i the only one in thinking that the rambi transformations in this game were more of a token effort than actual kind of uh purposeful thing in the game i don't know I really don't have an opinion, unfortunately. I mean, I was like, I feel like it was put there as like a thing, you know, just to do at certain times. Like, yeah, and here you go. Yeah, right? but I mean, I mean, the fact that no one's really got any strong opinions on the animal transformations in a DK game is kind of a bit of a, you know, oh, wow, that's good, you know, it's a missed opportunity. Like, yeah, the end guard bit was awesome. transformative just because it gave you some like you know, quicker underwater controls. And this game does a lot of yeah. water stuff. You know, it has both yeah. underwater and then there's entire, there's a boss fight that you, ha- you have to fight uh, in boats on top of the water. You know, that's, um, mm-hmm. it's unusual for 3D platformers to focus that much on the water. And I guess that goes back to the legacy of the series. But um, 
you know, I, I think Engard makes a lot of sense. Ramby is just kind of another key to open certain doors. Uh, it would have been more interesting <laughs> yeah. if they used uh, like Squawks or somebody who could fly, you know, take you into that realm that the other Kongs couldn't reach before. But, you know, Ramby, yeah. there's there's five other ground creatures that you can use at any time. Yeah, it just seems a little bit kind of like an afterthought, if you know what I mean, especially, as I said, compared to the company's... Pre- I know Rare is split up into different development teams, essentially, but when you you know put it under the umbrella of Rare and they've done transformations better in previous games... You kind of think, um, or you know, a previous game, and uh, or uh, and a game after it. You kind of think it's a missed opportunity, really, because especially everyone knows, really, most of the um the animal buddies in Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. So, alongside uh, the animal transformations, we have the Candy Kong's instruments. So when you see a pad on the floor somewhere, you can um yeah you can press a, a variety of buttons to make each of the Kongs play an instrument, and obviously like the Kong, uh, the bongos or Donkey Kongs and. Diddy Kong's got his guitar from the second game, uh, second country game, I should say. Yeah, um, uh, I like it. It adds to the kind of the aesthetic of charisma, charisma uh, but also it's just another thing to do and remember. And again, this is kind of the the running theme with this game. If you haven't picked it up already, it's just that there's, there's a lot going on. And maybe yeah. they didn't, maybe they just felt like they needed to put the instruments in just for another, because the game series has had instruments before, so therefore, let's put it in. Why not? That to yeah, steal uh, to steal a line directly from Ryan five minutes ago. It's just another key to open a door. Um, that's what they yeah. use these for. This is a pad you stand on. You press. You do the, the. You play the play the notes, and then uh, a glass breaks or a door opens somewhere, and that's or a barrel appears. But that's pretty much all it is. Just another mm-hmm. means. Well, the, the thing that it's impressive to me though is like they, I mean, eight levels, five Kongs each with five golden bananas. I mean, you get one kind of courtesy banana for the blueprint for each one, but that's mm. a, that's a lot of like puzzle like a lot of collectible stuff to fit into each level. Like it's like you, you said this earlier, Darren, like it's almost two games where multiple games worth of, of 3d adventure ideas mm. that are all just kind of, you know, slammed and, you know, in together in these areas. And um, so I, I mean, I just see this as just another way for the developers to be like, Oh, well, here's another, you know, we can we can work this into every level, so they'll they'll have a music related banana. And I mean, obviously, I'm not a game developer, so um, but it just seems to be just to be another way to to you know kind of gate a banana in each level. Hmm. This kind of thing would make more sense in Banjo Kazooie, where the characters are named after instruments, and there's more of a <laughs> kind of intrinsic yeah. musical link. But apart from the Donkey Kong Country series, just kind of having good music before. And uh, of course, Donkey Kong or Diddy Kong and Dixie Kong kind of rocking out um, at the end of each level. Mm-hmm. There, like, there wasn't really anything that necessarily led this game to be that associated with with playing music. I, I think it does play really nicely into their personalities. I'm glad that yeah. it's there because I really enjoy watching all of these Kongs play their instruments. And then, you know, this of course went on to kind of ladder up into the, uh, the bongo series afterwards. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, there's that continuity there, but that's, um, it's kind of retroactive. You know, I don't know where this idea came from originally, other than maybe it was a carryover idea from Banjo-Kazooie. Hmm. So not only did, um, Dixie Kong make, not make an appearance in this game, but Diddy Kong just stole a guitar and started (laughs) using it. You know what I mean? It's just a, a a double insult there. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to see Diddy Kong, you know, get his um his boombox out again and just uh, you know rock it on his shoulders. But <laughs> yeah, Ch- uh, Chonky Kong with the triangle is kind of the juxtaposition that kind of makes you laugh, right? <laughs> it's just the biggest Kong with the tiniest 
puniest kind of instrument, but uh, you know, they're all viable. It's Lanky fine. Kong's trombone is the very best though. And the fact that he has oh, the stretchy absolutely. arms and that plays so nicely into the way that you actually play a trombone, like it's just uh it's a match made in heaven there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very clever. How how are you feeling about the instruments in the game, Joey? Uh, I mean, first off, on the Lanky Kong point, I mean, it was fascinating that they heavily incorporated that as part of the boss fight against King K. Rule. But, um, Mm. you know, no, I mean, as far as the music insert went, I mean, I was more than happy for it because of the Chunky Kong, you know, triangle, you know, rocking that triangle every day. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean... Legitimately, I kind of I have to agree on the fact that it just didn't. It just seemed like it was just out of place. But hey, it's here, and they found a way to at least make it work well. Thankfully, um, but you know, I am happy that if it had any reason that led to it, uh, thank good. I really enjoyed Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that's really all I gotta say on that. All right, well, we might as well roll straight into the actual music and sound effects of the game, which I had forgotten to put in the document because there's too much to put in here. But let's talk about the, you know, the the music score that runs through the game and the the sound effects that comes alongside it. I mean, for me personally, I whenever I hum the songs from either this or Banjo Kazooie, I can never remember which ones are which, and it, they kind of bleed into one another for me. But that doesn't stop me from absolutely loving it, and it fit in in with the rest of the game's aesthetic. It kind of it works, you know, Grant Kirkhope for me, if whenever he starts, you know, composing in a game, I'm just pretty much just there. And I believe there's even songs in here that were written for Banjo-Kazooie, because I know that uh, Fungi Forest was originally a Banjo-Kazooie level that for some reason didn't mm-hmm. make the cut there, and so they just basically yeah. ported it over to this game. And so I don't know if the music was uh, kind of entrenched in that in uh, at this point in um, in its development, but... You know, there there is that shared lineage, and uh, it, it's kind of I I love Grant Kirkhope's music, obviously. Like, and I'm super happy to just have essentially another banjo soundtrack. But like, I also <laughs> wonder if we're potentially missing out on there being just kind of another flavor of music. Uh, it it just feels very kind of continuous from what had come before. I'd agree with that. I it's it's uh, and like you said, Darren's another uh, Grant Kirkhope soundtrack. Like, uh, yeah. it, they 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 play in my head constantly, whether I like them to or not. There, it's um, <laughs> I can hum that that overworld theme, you know, kind of the kind of the slow moving uh, flute in the background, and then the strings, and it's just it's very pleasant, and it's so evocative of uh of just that console for me. I don't when I think of Nintendo sixty four music, I I very rarely. Maybe I'll think of a couple Super Mario sixty four songs, but I think of the of the rare three D platformer music. I think of Grant Kirkhope, so it's just another example in that body of work that like it just fits so well for that type of game. and And he can mm. and he can he can write a hell of a song for a for a pirate level, and there that and, <laughs> yeah. and that does not that does not um that does not change here. Gloomy Galleon, he has a that 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 track is just is 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 on par with Rusty Bucket Bay as far as my heart is concerned. My absolute favorite is uh, Frantic Factory. Like I love the the fact that it starts off as such like a dainty uh, music box type instrument. Yeah, it's so it's... creepy as it just kind of like winds along. You get those mechanical noises in there as well, and you know it never like it never becomes like an intense track. But when the rest of the instruments kick in, it it feels like uh, feels like something kind of emerging from the shadows. I, I just love how moody and and really wonderful that piece is Hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah, further on to a point where it's just, you know, it feels like, a, like I said, and you said, it's just like another banjo soundtrack, which is, is a positive. But part of me thinks, God, if David Wise was to do, you know, a DK64 soundtrack, maybe we're missing like a, an alternate universe version of the game where David Wise continues on with his, you know, his, his magical sounds. But I think maybe at this point he was gearing up to do, I don't know, music on Donkey Kong Racing, which never happened. I, I don't know really why he wasn't on the um, on the list for this one, but yeah. Hey ho, them's the brakes, right? Yeah, you can't really. Yeah. Can't really blame him for that. You know, what I mean, it's not his fault. But yeah, in my head, it's just like, oh, we could just pop our head into an alternative universe for five minutes. Well, maybe that's what I'd do. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, what's going on in this universe? Oh, David Wise composed for DK64. Wicked, I'm out. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's just me, I guess. Yeah. But you know, the, the sound effects we mentioned, they, the, 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 the forefront of the sound effects, really, for me comes from the, the 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 actual creatures themselves the you know the simians they are absolutely just all over the game in terms of sound effects and and the the enemies in the game as well they all have their traditional you know <laughs> whenever you knock them out or you kill them they just make their usual noises and then a thing pops out of them which makes another jingle you're just like okay there's there's a lot of jingles to be listened to here and they all have their own significance within within the world but i feel like it all fits you know i, I do feel like the game from an audio point of view, really does fit the visual style. And uh, yeah, again, Rare just absolutely nailing it on the aesthetic side with the music and sound effects. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely have to agree on the uh, the sound effects for the blue squirrels every time you hit them and they make that bouncing noise when they bounce off their nose onto the ground. Um, You know, and little, you know, little tidbits like that, for sure. Yeah, it definitely all kind of pulls it together in terms of, um, yeah, co- cohesion and stuff like that. The the little um, xylophone runs every time you pick up a collectible. Little like you just hear the I, wood blocks in the back. I the the way that that evokes kind of like that jungle feeling. Just like every time you pick up a banana, I, I just that that trigger that hits the serotonin button for me. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I always I always enjoyed that sound. Uh, you know, one thing I actually want to talk about on the music thing just really quick is. Uh-huh. Um, I go for it. Uh, was uh now I like how there was all the little mini games, including like the little mini game specifically where you're like in the little like kind of dark hallway and you got those security guard looking crocodiles with the flashlights and you gotta sneak past them in like the time limit yeah, or what? Stealthy Snoop, I think. Yeah, uh, you know, and there was like the the particular like song that played, you know, during it, it was like the you know, anyways. You know, I, I don't know. I just I always found like that really set the mood in a way, and like just worked out well. And I always found like the, those kind of things just really entertaining. Mm. And I, I I'm not sure, but honestly, the stealthy Snoop was one of my favorite parts of DK64. And I'm just not sure if other people felt the same about it. I mean, like I, I thought it was kind of an underrated thing about the game, and I was like, I'd like to see more of this. It's almost like DK espionage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. I think they did a similar thing for um, Conquered by Third Day, where the kind of the soundtrack was, you know, it went from like, you know, stealthy noir at some points to horror to this and that. And I think, yeah, DK64 does a similar job within those bonus barrel minigames, right? It's kind of, if it's not like a fun fair, like you say, it does, it just fits the vibe of the level. And I like the fact that they go to the extra kind of extremes to make what you see you know, sound as good as, you know, as that. It matches, it matches brilliantly. And I can't really, um, you always feel like the audio, it really just it cements you into the, the level that you're in. Whether those banana, um, those bonus barrel games are any good or not is a different question, which we'll talk about in a bit. But yeah, you know, the, the music that goes alongside any of them really is. And the world's on when you do it. And it's like, you know, it all feels like you're at a fun fair. And, you know, 
even if it does get a bit dark and gloomy like the music and the and the sound effects around it will definitely pull it all together so yeah the levels that are dotted around dk isles are jungle japes angry aztec frantic factory gloomy galleon fungi forest and hideout helm yeah and um yeah the the further you get on in this game the bigger they get oh and there's crystal ah oh, caverns as well right i've missed that one out that's that's, that's, that's probably right. my got... favorite level in the game I was just about to say that is my least favorite level in the game because I think that's, pro that's probably why I left it out because I found navigation in that level to be an absolute chore. Like I just yeah, couldn't remember what everything looked the same to me. If I zipped out of one, you know, teleport pad one to another one, I was like, oh, there's a bunch of wall in front of me. Where do I go next? And I just couldn't work out where to be until I started remembering where the Diddy Kong jetpack was, right? Because then you could kind of fly around and get a bird's eye perspective on it. Yeah, that was the thing about that level, mm -hmm. that 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 verticality like made it so easy to fall off and lose progress mm -hmm. and lose your point of view. Yeah. No, I think overall, I feel like it's really easy to get lost in this game. There's not the same level of having those clear visual references as you would get in Banjo-Kazooie. You know, at the foot of Mumbo's Mountain, you can kind of see the entire world and you can always orient yourself in the right direction. But I feel like Donkey Kong 64, um, even excusing the indoor portions, which of course are separated uh, from the rest of the level, there's a lot of the design feels very much like smaller open areas connected by hallways, which really don't do any favors for um, for kind of creating a visual map in your own mind. Yeah, mm. that's it, true. I mean, navigation in that game was a nightmare. <laughs> so what made Crystal Caves uh, a firm favorite for you then? If Because if, for me, it was like the exact opposite from being completely... Uh, no, I mean, I actually kind of figured that was going to be a level that was going to be probably a, on the low side of, uh, you know, popularity amongst the community, mm. uh, even though I enjoyed it all the same um i don't know mm. just the uh, for first off i i've always kind of you know really enjoyed the d design style of worlds like that there wasn't any kind of snowy world or winter world in the game by any means or ice world and crystal caverns first off in any remote degree you know was i guess the closest to that even though not really mm. um but outside of that um i just thought it was uh i just i i enjoyed you know like you know jumping across the uh you know the the breaking platforms and the enemy you know the enemy placements i, I just i liked everything i i don't know maybe i just like the challenge to it and i like that i like the yeah. mini games in it i mean uh -huh. it definitely does not you know it definitely doesn't have my favorite boss because it's just the third time you fight the first boss in the game my favorite boss in the game easily goes to the second time you fight the dragonfly when you're chunky kong but um hmm. oh yeah that's a good one. yeah but uh i don't know hmm. i just I just enjoyed the design, the layout, the, you know, difficulty, just everything about the world, honestly. Yeah. You know, it was just fun for me. The one thing we haven't mentioned up to this point when it comes to level design, and I think you kind of have to mention it with this era of video game, is the camera and the camera controls. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. We haven't talked about it at all yet. The camera in DK64 and the camera controls are, I, I would say, arguably bad at best, atrocious at worst. <laughs> um, yeah. But... But it was kind of the best that it was for the time. I don't want to give it a pass because it's definitely problematic. It's hard to see certain things. You can sometimes you can run right by those banana uh, balloons and you might just miss it. Oh, just yeah. the weight, like if you're especially if you're climbing up, like for some reason, camera vertical movement in those games was like would just throw everything off kilter. Um, and the mm. C button kind of changing it around, kind of trying to move at 90 degree angles, but hitting the geometry like it, it's not great, but. But I, I don't really fault the game for it too much because it's just kind of the way it was back then with without having mm. a functional dual stick 
which didn't really come about until the next generation. Like it, it didn't wasn't really like prolific till the next generation. Um, but it does cause. I mean, it, you just maybe looking around an area for a while, be like, what am I supposed to do here? And then, like you said, you might just hit the C C right button, and then all of a sudden the camera swings around, and you see that Diddy Kong barrel that you didn't see before because yeah. of the way the camera was formed. I just we hadn't talked about that yet. Yeah, no, yeah, the camera's a good point, really. And uh, again, there's so much to talk about that I've kind of forgotten about it. But um, I have a very strong memory of recently. There's like, um, what they call like escalators or travelators, like moving belts. And you yeah. end up running up one of them as Diddy Kong. But the camera's preset at this point. And the 2D aspect of a preset camera doesn't lend itself well to the, the this kind of environment. So you end up falling down be- between the cracks or maybe behind it that you couldn't see. And you're just like... What am I doing wrong? Like, how come I can't run across these two kind of um, treadmills, so to speak, and 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 to reach my goal? And I can't remember what level it was. Maybe it was um, I don't know. It, uh, I can't remember. They all kind of blurred together. Maybe it was Crystal Caves. <laughs> I can't really remember. But it's just like every time the game wants me to do something in terms of looking around the environment, I felt like yeah, I was struggling quite a bit. And uh, are you? And, and the reason why I ended up using Diddy Kong's jetpack was just to use the camera to maybe a greater greater advantage and i hadn't realized that until you said so yeah it's um it's all it's all very good points mm-hmm. so within these levels there are collectibles and this is where kind of you know um we mentioned it on the last week's show on banjo kazoo nuts and bolts like rare kind of mocked themselves for the over collectathon and i think this game is kind of the 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 game that holds the flag up and goes here's the flag that i'm waving now go and collect 200 more of these flags and that's kind of you know, I think Assassin's Creed is also <laughs> yeah, a more sure. literal version of that. But yeah, um, yeah, the collectibles in this game are in abundance. It's probably an understatement. So I'm going to quickly go through them. You've got specific colored bananas, which can only be picked up by each of the Kongs, which we mentioned earlier. You have to go into the tag barrel and then run back through each of the corridors, the worlds to find them. And you've got banana balloons, which when popped with the specific color of, you know, Kong. So like you see one that red, that's DK, pop it with his coconut gun. That unlocks more bananas. You've got banana bunch coins. You've got the supply grates, which aren't, they're pickups, not collectibles, but they all feed into kind of the general overwhelming nature of the game. And that, you know, you need a supply crate to refill your gun. And you've got oranges, which are grenades. You've got crystal coconuts, which I can't really remember what they do. That's you've got the, the banana <laughs> camera film. Uh, crystal coconuts, of course, Darren, are for your special abilities. And banana camera film is the only film you can be using your banana camera to take pictures of banana fairies. I have a ten-point PowerPoint slide that I will show you later, explaining all of these things. <laughs> the uh, crystal coconuts were a carryover from the animated series, actually. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. The classic crystal uh, coconuts. I got a, I got, a, I got some YouTube to do. <laughs> you know we've got melon crates to replenish your health you've got blueprints which are color coded of course which um you know unlock more golden bananas and stuff you've got banana medals banana arena crowns banana fairies boss keys rare rare and nintendo coins which you play donkey kong and jetpack arcade games uh, emulated within the n64 and rainbow coins which we mentioned earlier where someone found one literally um last year or this year uh, after 17 years of um yeah not finding it so this game's got a lot of collectibles, and I'm pretty sure you know how we feel about this game's attitude towards them. But for me, it's a downhill slope. It starts off pretty decent in terms of easing you in, but by the time you've reached the end game, like for me personally, I found that once I'd hit kind of Gloomy Galleon, I think was the point where I was just a bit like, "Ooh, I think I've had enough of these collectibles," and yeah. I can't. I, I started to pretty much just started to mainline it now at this point. Like just the bare essentials to get through. And get out the other side. Uh, 
and I'm all for collectibles. You know, that they, they can be done really well. I recently played uh, Ukulele and the Impossible Layer, and you know that there has the um, the collectibles for Platonics and the bees to help you get through the Impossible Layer. And I wanted to do it all, so it's not not unimaginable for me to go back through a game and get the collectibles. Uh, it's just in this game. It just took it to the extremes and the aforementioned backtracking was probably the biggest reason why I didn't do it again in 2019. So, yeah, are we how are we feeling about the just the sheer amount of collectibles? So it's 201 gold bananas, right? That's that's the main currency in this game to get you the the end, you know, the super secret ending, which is kind of a strange thing indeed. So, yeah, is 201 bananas too many. <laughs> I really like collectibles in games. You know, I, I like that just that pure kind of base thrill that you get from just picking something up you know you feel like you accomplished something you're checking something off of a list like there's so many games these days you think about like far cry and and all these games where you're just kind of like doing incremental things over time and making your character slightly better slightly stronger getting ever closer to that that little 100 percent goal towards the end and um i mm. So, you know, I'm not opposed to it at its core. And I think that like these days, if they release something like this on Switch and made it really easy to just kind of like jump in and jump out and it, like in uh, Breath of the Wild had like a fair amount of like just things to do in the world. And mm. if mm -hmm. it was handled like that, where you can just kind of like say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to hop in, uh, put in half hour and let's go see if I get a blueprint or something like that. And, you know, Feel like you were kind of working towards a larger goal i think that the thing that kind of just put it on the other side of that uh other side of the curve for me was that all of these were also progress gates and so you needed to collect all of them to yep. get to the end of the game uh, which became i think especially problematic as you got towards the arcade games um being required to get into the um the final boss because like they're good games but they're very different skill sets than anything that you've learned so far and i don't think it's fair to block the progress of somebody in you know, a 3d platformer because they can't play donkey kong arcade very well you know it just mm. it, it doesn't feel like they're like the pop quiz is testing the things that were taught in class you know yeah i could i couldn't agree with you more that that i feel the same way about that donkey kong a lot and especially you have to do it all in one life um it, it's really it's really difficult but um it, it it was the natural progression, I think, from you, you look at like Rare's history with 3D platformer. I mean, you had Banjo-Kazooie and Banjo-Tooie, like like all Banjo-Kazooie did, Not to, and I'm not belittling it, it's one of my favorite games of all time, um, but it took the Super Mario 64 formula with the stars and then it added notes and added Jinjos, basically, and, and then these transformation things with the mumbo token. So like, so when you're thinking of your next progression, it's like, what did you do to get from point A to B? Well, we added more stuff. So what do we do from point B to C? We'll add a lot more stuff. I think it just kind of mm -hmm. was the natural order of things at the time. And I think that this is the first, you know, time where, um, and even when you talk about, you mentioned Far Cry, like, like the, like the difference between Far Cry 3 and Far Cry 4 might be similar to, you know, Banjo-Tooie and, and uh, Donkey Kong 64 and the fact that, you know, there, there is such a thing as too much of the thing that got us here. So mm -hmm. um, I think that, that mi they might have suffered from that. Obviously, having not been in the room, I don't know for sure. But, but from the player's perspective, it, like, at first, when I first started playing, I'm like, oh, look at all this stuff to collect. This is going to be great. It's going to, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm really excited about how many things are to collect. But then when I'm going back to Jungle Japes for the third time after I just unlock a Chunky to do the same, you know, it, it becomes repetitive 
without feeling like you said, Ryan, without feeling like you were progressing towards something meaningful, just doing it kind of just to do it. Yeah, kind of cumbersome. Yeah, you know, you've got, um, you know, various switches that only can be opened via, you know, certain weapons and bits and bobs that need opening, you know, it's all just a bit too many. And, you know, like you say, going back to Jungle Japes after visiting Gloomy Galleon and you finally, you know, you go, oh, mate, I can go back there and unlock that door that's up in the corner. But then you go there with the the wrong Kong, so to speak, and you end up going, I need to go back down the hill and get in the tag barrel and coming back up again. And yeah, it's it doesn't really favor the player in terms of respecting its time. And I think that's the game for my personal taste. Biggest kind of crime is the right word to use. It's just, it just doesn't really want the player to, um, to have a, a, a kind of a, a fluid way through the game. And um, yeah, but it, you know, it, it does because Tui evolved from Kazooie, you know, it kind of doubled down on it, right? The, the, the overworld, you know, it's just absolutely massive. And the way it interconnects is, is quite impressive, but I found it a bit too overwhelming at times. But, it, you know, it can't, for me, it kind of gets away with it and, it, you know, it works. Whereas here, I think they've exacerbated the, the, the backtracking within the levels rather than the overworld. Like, DK Isle, for me, kind of stays as it is, you know what I mean? It doesn't really spiral out of control in terms of just sheer, um, you know, adventure. But the levels themselves are where, the, you know, the, and the, sheer density, the sheer density of stuff to do within the levels are where the problem comes for me. And I think, you know, we've... We've made our feelings strong on that. It's just, it's just too many. And like 201, like we're kind of used to hitting 100 in games, right? And going, that's, that's the number, 100, and that's the end. But here you've got 201. And, you know, there are, there's a lot of variety in this game. You know, you've got the minecart levels, which visually are, are nice to look at, like the rest of the game. You know, it's got lovely lighting. It's got a good sense of speed towards it. And it feels, you know, a bit like a, like a ghost train or like a, you know, like a, like a roller coaster at times. They, they did a really good job in, making sure that the minecart levels transitioned over to, to 3D. I thought I found that being attacked from behind was a bit of a cheap move. And, you know, some challenges were based on, you know, it's kind of speed, especially now that I'm thinking about it, the slide where you, the, the Mario 64-esque um, yeah. side level where you, where you, you race a beetle thing down a slide and it, you get to the end and all of a sudden it just decides to run that little bit faster than you. <laughs> you can't help but just feel a bit cheated. And I'm sure the penguin is kind of a similar thing in Mario 64. But in Mario 64, when you found the shortcut, you felt like a bit of a genius when you accidentally rolled into the wall and found a shortcut. You're like, oh, this is this is great. Or you end up falling off the ledge and hearing Mario cry, but he also lands on a platform below you. That game kind of rewarded you for, yeah, kind of accidental experimentation, I guess. Whereas here, you're racing this thing for a long time. And I watched it with Giant Bomb's recent kind of burgle my bananas thing. And like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they tried it so many times. And like, Vinny's getting to the end and the, the, the beetle thing kind of overtakes him even though they think they've got a clear shot at finishing it and you're just like rare games like sometimes i wonder why i'm a massive fan of these games but i know why but sometimes i think god they really do just turn on the um the nonsense sometimes and the, the so in the minecart levels when you get attacked from behind and you hear kind of like the, the the sad noise from being hit from behind and you lose the coins or the thing that you need to progress in the mission it feels a bit cheap, you know, and again, with the, the Beatles going down the slide, that, there's a lot of moments in this game where you just think, oh, I just feel like I, I didn't deserve that. And you end up doing like a three or four minute mission or task or challenge again and again. And uh, yeah, it's just as well this game looks as good as it does sometimes, because sometimes like I just turn it off in frustration, like when I lost that minecart mission where you're... um whether you're being chased by the kind of the skeleton ghost thing. I yeah. think I remember struggling with that one quite a lot. And I was just like, nah, I'm coming back to this later. And then 
you know, the, the game's charm pulls you back in and you end up uh, kind of pushing through it. So do we have any strong feelings on the minecart levels in general or? Oh, well, actually, um, before I, no, no, I actually had something I wanted to say on the collectible thing, if uh, I may. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. So one thing I did want to note is I completely agree with uh, Donkey Kong 64 being heavily overbearing on the collectible point. But uh, my, my biggest thing is I love collectibles, you know, collectathons, you know, as far as games go. But mm. I think it co- boils mm-hmm. down to the necessity of the collectible, the amount they are, and I guess how out of the way obscure or the size of it, you know, is like whether or not, you know, it's like it's it's like the formula to it is like I feel like is is it satisfactory and good and wants to keep you going or is it problematic like ex- like the gold bananas in dk64 i didn't have too much problem with just like collecting stars or jiggies and banjo and mario but like mm-hmm. collecting the blood diamonds in far cry 2 was awful and i mean don't even get me started on shooting the pigeons in gta 4 um <laughs> you know like those are yeah, i mean the, the, those pigeons are so tiny and are real so big and there's so many of them you know that you know far cry mm-hmm. 2 you know there, there's so much hidden as far as the blood diamonds go it's just you know it's a mess it's frustrating you know and i feel like you know i mean the, the fairies are kind of a little out there in dk64 and then you know what if you don't have film or what if every time you try to take a picture of it something just goes horribly wrong and then you're out of film you know mm-hmm. like it just seems to heavily vary on the collectible point and as far as the donkey kong 64 mario kart uh, or, I mean, Donkey Kong 64 cart game goes, minecart game. Uh, yeah, no, those those controls were. Ooh, that needed some work. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I remember that just severely frustrated me to extent. Mm-hmm. I remember just getting very very angry as a kid. That's for sure. <laughs> not not one of their finer yeah. points on uh, game control. Yeah, and that kind of um, the the thematic for that kind of runs through for the DKC series, right? Oh, the minecart levels for me were always a bit like, oh, they they look good, but they're just yeah, they're just a bit unwieldy to control and a bit unfair. And I found that kind of um, the same here. Uh, anyone else got anything to say about the kind of the side, um, you know, the, the the alternate challenges within the game? Any standout moments for you, or you know, you stand out both positive and negative? Any kind of feelings because you've you got the bonus barrels right where you there's so many things within these bonus barrels you've got one that's kind of like a mario paint-esque fly swatting mini game <laughs> or you've got <laughs> you gotta applaud the you know, variety there's so much to it. uh the ones where you're trying yeah. to herd the uh the beavers into the, the yeah. hole in the middle of the barrel yeah. um i mean yeah. herding games herding mini games in games rarely work very well and this one mm-hmm. really uh this one really got frustrating <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, agree. yeah. That one's called a Beaver Bob. Yeah, I mean, overall, I I personally just I enjoyed the fact that there were a bunch of mini games of variety. Some of them worked out for sure. Some of them not so much. You know, as far as the you know the gameplay mechanics. As I said, I love the sneaking stuff. You know, but uh, it, it was really just a variety of hit or miss. You know, when it came to the mini games, you know, some were great, some not so mm. much. You know, the ones that I actually liked a lot were the. Um, the slot machine ones only because I knew that once it popped up and it was one of those, I'm like, I'm not going to have to try this 10 times. <laughs> I'm just going to get this. <laughs> I'm going to get this golden banana. I'm going to walk away. So, um, so sometimes <laughs> it was nice to just kind of have one pop up that you knew like, yeah, I got this as opposed to yeah. like, like Ryan said about the beaver bother. He'd just be like how he was just running directly at that hole and took a left for no reason. <laughs> uh yeah so again this game is just rammed full of kind of just stuff and variety and you know i've uh, again i kind of echo my, my 
my, my previous sentiments and that it just kind of it runs a it runs its course and i think these barrel mini games are the same thing you know you can only see the same things again and again like it's just oh, okay it's another one of these you know and compared to again we're going to compare it to Tui. like i think Tui does a really good job and it's kind of alternate mini games you know the um the witchy world kind of uh flying saucer one is kind of a highlight and we mentioned that in the nuts and bolts show and the you know the bit where you kind of um in i forgot what his name the 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 kind of the yeah, the Aztec level in the first, uh, the first level in Banjo Tooie. Sorry, I'm feeling a bit <laughs> tired. Yeah, um, what's it called? The first level in Banjo Tooie, something mayhem. Right? Is that Mayhem Temple? Oh that's, yeah, 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 that's it. yeah, it's, it's Mayhem yeah, Temple. That's it. Thank you very much. So yeah, the the kind of the the mini games in there are fantastic in Mayhem Temple. Oh, and, not, to, in the, not to talk about that. Is that the one with the little st- you turn in a little stone guy and you play soccer? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. yeah. yeah, a, yeah that's the balls is okay. targets. Sorry. Yeah, that is. Um, yeah. yeah, that's wonderful. Sorry, I'll shut up now. Yeah, you know, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Yeah, and there's just a great variety there, and I feel like there's a lot of fun to be had in those mini games. But here, it kind of felt a bit like, you know, and DKC has been, you know, they had bonus barrels in those games, and you end up just trampolining your way for a bunch of collectibles, and at the other side, and they feel generally quite good fun. Yeah, you know, it comes with a nice little jingle when you when you're good at it, and yeah, they're, they're very snappy. And here, I felt like, you know, there was they're very hit and miss. You know, like whack a mole with Kremlins is okay, I guess, and you know the. It's just, yeah, they're just they're just all right. Um, but I feel like they've done better in in previous and uh, later games. Yeah, the, again, there's just so many. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'm looking here about a list of twelve, ten to twelve. You know, bonus barrel games, and it's just like, wow, well, do we really need that many? And again, that kind of runs true for the whole game. So yeah. Um, oh, and also like Banjo Tooie, like p- putting you in first person with Kazooie as a gun and kind of um botched versions of GoldenEye levels like that's a clear winner for me like I'd happily run around stack and uh, library as uh, Banjo-Kazooie firing exit people but that's we've done that show so yeah um that's kind of pretty much we could talk about DK64 for another four hours if you wanted to but I'm gonna kind of move it on now and uh yeah we're gonna go through some did anyone play any multiplayer so this and Tui and Diddy Kong Racing and kind of games that were really strong in single player and I say strong in terms of wealth of content they also had multiplayer and sometimes i feel like they were just used uh they were they were they were there because they could and i feel like dk64 is exactly one of those i don't yeah. remember playing it much but i remember playing like a kind of a very weak version of um smash brothers right it's like on a yeah. disc like a big metal disc and it was just like monkey fight i guess is probably a more <laughs> apt um yeah. well monkey fight you know from super monkey ball i'm yeah. not to get it confused yeah. with monkey smash from dk64 <laughs> but the kind of like, I just for me, Monkey Smash was just not a fun thing to do. You end up just spinning around as Chunky and knocking people off or Lanky, and it's just like, is this is was this necessary? And I don't really know if they had to hit a certain threshold of stuff to put in their game. But like here, it was just like we didn't need this, and you know, but you know, I, I wasn't gonna start disliking the game because of it. But like at the same time, like it didn't really feel like it was necessary. Did anyone have any fun with the multiplayer in DK64? Yeah, so, you know, I've had experience to great depth with all of Rare's single-player games and their multiplayer aspects uh, with my friends, and I can honestly say DK64's multiplayer Rumble Pit was uh, definitely not not a strong point. I mean, I, I had much better time as fonder memories and more use out of the First-person shooter Banjo-Tooie multiplayer, especially with us all playing Jinjos or even Conker's Bad Fur Day, you know, multiplayer from, you know, beating each other up mm. to the lava surfing and including uh, Live and Reloaded, 
uh, Call of Duty style, you know, with classes. Uh, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. I had tons of fun multiplayer experiences on all accounts of those, but DK64, yikes. We tried it. We tried it again. We tried it one more time just to see on very, you know, just no. No, it just did not work out. We really, really tried to give, you know, we always, with all of them, tried to give it a try. But, like, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Conker's Live Reloaded, Banjo-Tooie, with their first-person shooting aspect, especially when you factor in Mm -hmm. characters like Jinjo and how fast and grenade explode. Anyways, point being was, they had some good multiplayer instances in certain rare games, but Donkey Kong 64 was not one of them, in my opinion. Hmm might be one of those cases with Nintendo where it's like we have we've got four controller ports on this front of this thing for a reason uh this is one of our characters <laughs> yeah. you better you know um I kind of felt that way about a bunch of uh a bunch of games during that time where some of them really hit well like I said we played a lot of the Banjo-Tooie one my, my brother and I and and obviously you know the 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 major hits you know your Golden Knights and Mario Karts but anytime we got a game that had four player functionality we tried to get people in the room and and do it and Donkey Kong 64 I, I don't think we ever did it outside of the one try and just said okay that was mm-hmm. enough that? I kind of miss games like yeah. this, though, where there were so many bonus features that are just like ideas that the devs had. And maybe they weren't the best ideas, but they obviously spent, a, you know, a week or two kind of putting them together and just went ahead and throw them on the cartridge. Because why not? You know, you get that yeah, in a, yeah. Luigi's Mansion 3 has some really great like scare scraper and scream park type of uh, modes, mm. um, things that are, mm. you know, obviously a little bit less thought out than the the main single player game but like there's still you know you don't get that kind of like excess of content in uh, in a lot of modern games or, or yeah. they'll try to sell it to you separately yeah no in fact you know like they just like um you know uh catherine uh the uh you know the the multiplayer local versus mode in the original catherine on the 316 ps3 was kind of an afterthought but a lot of fun and sp- spawned a competitive scene that mm. i'm actually a part of and that actually led to them really investing on a real multiplayer in the release of full body and you know including online and all like mm. they actually it actually led to the you know because of how much you know strong reception it gave from the community that actually led to them really advancing upon it and it certainly missed seeing bonus features in games whether they have no relevance or just like an afterthought like you were saying you know it's just it's nice to see it um you know, like a you know, one entertaining instance at least is Tekken Seven's Tekken Bowling. Unfortunately, you have to pay for it as DLC. But mm. you know, it's just it's nice to see this stuff, but definitely not exactly as DLC like in Tekken Seven's instance. You know, it's it's it's, uh, it's sad to not see it anymore. Mm. Well, maybe if they did a DK sixty four remaster, they could take a leaf out of um. Death Stranding's book and just have um people urinating all over the world <laughs> to enhance it and uh yeah, yeah. they've got the, they've got the tech from Conquer so they could just put that in and uh, yeah maybe you can build some bridges to get some collectibles too and uh, yeah I'll like it as much as um the button will let me press it yeah I don't know you know um yeah there, there's definitely some interesting things to be done with multiplayer and maybe they put it in DK64 to kind of test the waters for later multiplayer stuff you never know maybe it was just more of a proving ground that they could do something and therefore you know in conquers bad fur day you then had the kind of pretty impressive war game where you were running towards the um the trenches right you never know how these things work but from a player's point of view you know having that kind of there it's just like no man this this is this is rubbish (laughs) like you know but then you know it had such a wealth of content that you didn't really feel um yeah, well, I guess at that that point back in on release, I didn't feel too harsh done by, but I never went back to it. So, hmm. 
there is that. So we have, um, we're coming to the end of the show now. We have a forum post by Simon Sloth. Recently, I've played both Banjo-Kazooie and DK64 as towering gaps in my gaming history. Both on the N64 are designed uh, and designed by Rare. One of these is excellent and filled, with, uh, filled me with glee. The other filled me with hatred and rage. DK64 was the latter. I found the camera control to be diabolical and the platform, and in my opinion, was terrible. I cannot remember in amongst the Spyros, Crash Bandicoots, and even the Ape Escape, which I have played just recently, being this badly controlled. To give the player tricky platforming sections without the ability to manipulate the camera to see the moving platforms coming towards them is just unfathomable. Frantic Factory was awful for this reason. Uh, yeah, quickly, I'm just going to put my own little feelings there. The, the swingy vines that you end up jumping on in DK64, even though they're kind of like pre-scripted jumps, I don't know how many times I've oh, fell off. Oh, all the time. Yeah, between that and yeah. the camera angles, honestly, that actually led mm -hmm. to me throwing my controller a couple of times as a child. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't break your banana controller, did you? No, no. <laughs> oh, that's worth worth a pretty penny now. Keep it safe. There, back to Simon Sloth. The game has a lot of potential in that I think the concept of playing as all the different characters and combining their abilities has merit. The unique abilities and some of the mini games are fun, but as a large portion are a large portion are a mild form of torture <laughs> during my time with the game i spent whole evenings trying to tackle a handful of 30 second minigames i've never felt so infuriated the mild-mannered pacifist in me morphed over the course of my attempts into michael douglas in falling down i don't know 95 percent of the game could be good solid fun with a better camera and tighter controls but the other five percent is potentially the most infuriatingly terrible torturous game i have ever played beaver bobber the banana shooting gallery, the owl race with Diddy in a jetpack, and worst of all, the lanky rabbit race. I think I won that by pure fluke when the rabbit got caught on the uh, casplat under the tree. I, it was, I think, impossible without that stroke of luck. Yeah, that reminds that reminded me of Boggy from Freeze Easy Peak, right? It's just um one of those things where you just kind of fluke it somehow. Uh, anyway, I completed the game with 101%. This is despite hating almost all of my last uh, few nights with the game. I had invested too much time and energy to give up and I finally did it. This was such a low point and genuinely a game guilty of some of the biggest design mistakes I have ever encountered. Trim out the unnecessary difficult minigames, lower the requirements to reach the boss and you have a half decent game on your hands. As it stands, I can only recommend this game as a form of low grade torture. To play Banjo after makes this all a more huge misfire. Yeah, so uh, kind of like the complete opposite end of the uh, forum post at the start of the show. Yeah, this guy, um, well, Simon Sloth finished it to the max and pretty much hates it. So, yeah, the game really does polarize. I mean, I can definitely say I've had those experiences where, you know, I've finished a game to 100% and then my final opinion is, I hate it. Why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, I don't hate the uh, the first ukulele, but I 100% of that and thought to myself, oh, why did I do that? Maybe the banjo fan of me had to do it, but yeah, also I was not uh, particularly enthralled by the 100% it had to offer, but that's for a, another I actually enjoyed it myself personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's, you know, no, that's, that's. I, I wish I did. I don't, I don't really take a lot of um pride in saying I don't really like games as such because I want to like them all, but yeah, especially something like that. But we'll say that for another show and we'll get you back on. So, um, yeah, we have some free reviews. They came in late because I'm an idiot, but we have some anyway. So free <laughs> reviews from Twitter. It starts with me and, and no more Spiros said much too long. John W. Lloyd says trans rights. OK, no Tom to lose says too many Kongs. Bear fish pipe. 
Love the name. All the bananas. Uh, Edge Jam says, frustrating floating bananas. I'm gonna guess UK Miho. <laughs> Asta la banana. Worgen Riku says, frustrating yet likable. Andrew Brown says, not enough collectibles. Deadbeat Punk says, where was Dixie? <laughs> Which is, uh, yeah, uh, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Where, where was Dixie? These are, these are all fair. <laughs> yeah, they're all fair. So, in summary, just a brief little kind of, uh, yeah, general, I think we know where we're headed with this. So, um, yeah, but a brief kind of feelings and thoughts on the uh, on the experience that is DK64. I'm going to go first, and, you know, as the kind of the resident rare fan of the of the lot, I guess, you know, I'm, I, that's what I'm known for. I guess, playing it back in the day, I did it because I felt like I had to, and I, I remember enjoying it, to be honest, back in the day. I remember thinking to myself, yeah, that was... That was a decent time, and I'm glad I played it. And I don't think I ever replayed it as much. I think I ever replayed it actually until this year. I, I definitely started it and never went through it. But like when you compare it to Banjo Kazooie, like finishing that game, like the the Xbox Live Arcade leaderboard for me, I'm quite proud of it. That I'm kind of high up in there. Like I've 100 percented it under like six hours or something. It's you know it's probably not the best time, and I know it's not. But for me, it's just like that personifies where I'm at with Banjo Kazooie in terms of. It is a 3D platformer, and I absolutely love it. You know, in Tui, I really like. I, I think it's got some problems, and I think DK64 is kind of the, a third wonky leg on a table that's ready to fall over. You know, and it's just a bit like, ah, oh, DK64, man, like it's it's just too much, and it, it's on a slow decline from the start. It starts off really strong, and it pulls you in with the character and presentation, but by the time you've reached the end of it, like hide out helm when you're when you're forced to get through it in a certain amount of time. I just wanted to just turn it off and um, yeah, never come back to it in my recent playthrough. But you know, I, I pushed through and we did the boss fight that was kind of fun because you play as all different Kongs, but also it's a typical rare boss fight and it's kind of tricky and it's just really long. So yeah, DK sixty four for me, it's not a, it's not an essential game at all. But I think you might get some fun out of it as long as you don't take it too seriously as a cause as a um as a thing to one hundred and one percent. So yeah, it's. It's not the worst game in the world, but also it's far from good. I really don't know with DK64. I guess you just try it out for yourself. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a tricky one because I, I love the aesthetic and I love the presentation, but I just don't really like, I, by the end of it in this playthrough in 2019, I didn't really like playing it. So yeah, um, <laughs> a very confusing summary for me. Um, do I recommend it? probably i don't know ryan how are you feeling about dk64 yeah um i'm a little mixed as well but um i i think that this is an incredibly ambitious game it has some just ludicrously great uh characterization through animation on the n64 uh, it really pushes the hardware you, you see some things in this game that you just never see elsewhere some of the boss designs are fantastic i love the uh, the armadillo and the um, the final fight against King K. Rule was so inventive. Uh, there's there's so much to like in this game. Um, you know, I think the Kongs are a joy to control most of the time uh, when you're not swinging between vines. Like I love the extra little bit of momentum that you get when you uh, when you punch or when you uh, when you kick. Everything is has a little bit of a a little bit of forward momentum to it, which I think is a really nice carryover from the Donkey Kong Country series, which is all about kind of preserving that essential 
momentum. Overall, though, you know, it has a lot going on. There's so many bits of the game that I feel break away from a core aesthetic, which makes it feel really confusing. You know, where does a sentient door that is asking for golden bananas fit in with this otherwise pretty naturalistic monkey world that they've created. You know, it feels like something out of Roger Rabbit instead of something out of a Donkey Kong game. Um, and and the, uh, the, the fat little pig and rhino that you would just feed copious amounts of bananas to are kind of like... Trough and yeah, skull. They're kind of like grotesque and strange in a way that just felt really kind of like out of step with the rest of the game. Uh, so there's a mm. lot going on here. And there's some really good programming under the hood, technically, animation-wise, gameplay-wise. It, it's it's really, really good. There's enough stuff that's undercooked or incongruous with the experience to kind of color it a little bit. And I think if you... It's a game that is not ashamed of wasting your time. So, you know, if if you are looking for like a game you can kind of quickly get into and finish up with and maybe it's not really for you but you know at the time where you would buy a game and play it for months on end maybe it's just the age that I was you know it was a it was greatly appreciated and uh, I I had tons of fun with it I I don't regret any of the time that I spent with it Um, it's uh yeah it's a strange one indeed so, Brian, how about yourself? Uh, just before I start my summary, the the noise that Trough and Scoff make when they eat the bananas is, is the stuff <laughs> of nightmares. And um, and Have I you played com- Luigi's Mansion Three. Uh, I know I'm that- I, I'm only about a half hour in. I heard that there's some there's some stuff in there too. But um, that Luigi, he's he's giving it a good old shot. I tell <laughs> okay, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, actually. I'll, a, I'll, I will not look forward to that. I'm actually okay <laughs> with the banana eating sound. I was like, you know, it's oh, one of the more pleasant God. sound effects. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I, and my my summary is gonna be gonna be short. I I I love this game at the time when I played it. Uh, I think I think it's one of those games that I think about fondly when I think about the N sixty four and the the game catalog uh, for that system. Um, looking back on it, I knew even at the time I knew it had some bloat bloat bloated problems. You know, there's just a lot going on in it, and they're only more um, exacerbated with the passage of time. Um, but when going back and playing it on the on the Wii U Virtual Console. I was never not having a gr- a good time. Like it they were mm-hmm. but I could easily walk away from it. It was nothing that I had to play, but I had already played it before. I sometimes I play it for an hour, other times I play it for 10-15 minutes and and uh, I think it's it's better suited in those short chunks. I kind of Ryan alluded to before if it was released on something like the Switch, you know, where you could just kind of dip in, dip out. Something with that amount of collectible wouldn't seem like a chore, it might seem like a pleasant distraction from everything else. So, um whether to recommend it now, I mean, I think the only way, the, the most recent way you can play it is on the Wii U Virtual Console. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say you, you have to play it in order to have some sort of, you know, grand understanding of video games, but you could certainly do a lot worse with games from the era. So, um, hmm. so it, it was, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think that the mechanics and the collection and a lot of it has leaves a lot to be desired, but the overall character, the experience does shine through and, um, and and just the the Kongs and the soundtrack and and a lot of things working towards it that that make it still enjoyable to visit, if only for shorter amounts of time. 
And uh, Joey, I, we put you last because I feel like you're the most positive. So yeah, <laughs> fair enough. I mean, overall, I kind of ha- I have to basically agree with all of you. You guys all said bits and pieces of what I would say to it. Um, I guess beyond what's already been covered between the three of you and your summaries, um, you know, just simply, I really enjoyed the game. You know, it had many faults. Definitely had you know a mountain of frustration to go with it as far as 3D platformers go. And my time of playing just about all of them that have ever come out. And, you know, honestly, I would say, like, I enjoy the fact that they put Donkey Kong in it. Um, You know, like, that was just a little fun little thing for me. Some of the mini games are fun. Some of them be strange if they didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I mean, (laughs) I mean, the arcade game. (laughs) Oh, yes. Uh, Yeah. um, You know, aside from that, um, some of the mini games were really cool and fun. Some of them were absolute terrible nightmares that I wish I could erase from my brain. Aside from that. You know, I think my favorite point to this game, and probably where I spent most of my time after finishing the game, was the boss fights, because they gave you that boss rush mode you could access from the menu, where you just fight all the bosses. I mean, not mm. back-to-back, mind you, but um, honestly, like, that was one of my favorite points and most memorable points about this game, was the boss fights. Mm. And, uh, you know, although lazy by design, and also, in, you know, innovative, uh, who could forget cardboard K rule? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, that is a particularly good one, I think. Yeah, but uh, you know, overall, um, you know, the game, like, I think if it would have had a sequel, it would have been executed much better and would have been far more pleasantly received. I legitimately and truly think that um, there was a lot going for it, but it was kind of a messed up project as a whole and final, you know, final delivery while still being a fun and great game and a game I think about fondly while also associating many nightmares with it. Um, but, you know, it's definitely, as far as a 3D platformer goes, it's definitely one I have a variety of mixed feelings on it from both positive and negative. But, I mean, I can definitely say for me, I think my favorite shining point on it was just some of the boss fights were really entertaining. As I noted, one of my favorite parts about the game was the Chunky versus Dragonfly boss fight. I mean... Mm. You guys pretty much covered the rest. That's just my, you know, my my remaining two cents on the matter. And I'd honestly, I kind of, I miss seeing, you know, games like these. You know, we don't really see that many, that many, you know, this day and age. I mean, a hat in time has definitely given us, you know, pleasantry mm, on seeing a lot of the stuff I miss from these games and executing it very well, mind you. I mean, I love the game. That's why I bought it on the, mm-hmm. why I pre-ordered the physical release on the Switch. For all hail the DLC. Um, <laughs> uh, but aside from that, you know, one of the things that even on modern day 3D platformers, I feel isn't really expanded on or done right enough this day and age is we don't really have a lot of memorable boss fights anymore in 3D platformers, I feel. And it's kind of sad. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's fair points. So there we go. Um, yeah, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to uh, patreon.com forward slash Kane and Rince. Um, I've run a tight ship this week and we're not running over by too much. So you're not going to get loads of extra bonus content. It was either all or nothing, right? If we were going to go if we were going to go over on this podcast and talk about every single detail in the game, it would have been it would have been silly. So I decided to just yeah run a tight ship and keep it close as two hours as possible. So sorry, there's not too much extra content for you, Patreon people. But I need to, I need to sleep. Um, yeah, so you can go to do that and subscribe, and maybe sometimes when they talk about, you know, when 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 the chatty people talk about, I don't know, Metal Gear Solid or something, they chat on forever, and you get a, you get more meat there for your for your dollar a month. Uh, but next time in issue three nine six, um, yeah, get your nicknames ready for the Watcher as we discuss uh, the Evil Within two. 
So thank you very much, Joey, Ryan and Brian, for joining me on another rare adventure. And I'm sure I'll be uh, discussing more rare flavoured things in the near future. So, yeah, thank you very much. Later.